on today's show, we are getting to know Mike Jones, who's the baddest freestyler in Canada. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. No, I'm just kidding. He, he makes really dope knives. Thank you, Mike, for coming on and um, letting people get to know you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to have uh, conversations with people you never met before. Complete. <laughs> Recorded. <laughs> Complete strangers. From Do you know anybody in Delaware? Do you have any Delaware connections? Uh, not that I know of, but... Um... It would be cool if people hit me up after this, like, oh, cool. I'm from Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) Yet you never know. East Coast wise, do you have much much East East Coast influence? I don't know how isolated you are out there in Canada, how much you travel. I actually grew up in Ontario. Um, So until I was 21, I lived there and traveled to the Maritimes in Canada a bunch. And um, my wife's family is all from out there. And then, uh, and moved out here when I was 21 and stayed <laughs> ever since I'm, uh, almost 39 now, I guess. So I'm coming up on halfway through my life being in BC. Okay. Well, um, what's with the move? Um, like a lot of us, I did uh, a year in Whistler and then 10 years ago I was still there. <laughs> so I, it, it's weird how that happens. And then, um, 
it's just yeah and whistler of course just got more and more popular and expensive and um you know definitely i was definitely working more than i was playing which is is not how you you should do whistler so um looking around at options and we knew some people up here in the middle of british columbia we're in a town called quenelle now which is right up in the center of bc and um we just knew some people up here and liked um kind of everything there was to do up here everything fun that we could do in whistler we could do here just with no crowd and way less cost and uh, the price of real estate was way better <laughs> than in whistler especially back in those days so about eight years ago now we moved up here I don't know anything about Whistler. Actually, I've never heard of it until this moment right now. What's you never up? heard of Whistler, British Columbia? No, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm a Delawarean, man. We get on our <laughs> little peninsula and we're not very worldly, or at least I'm not. Um, well, I've never been to Delaware, but uh, I'd like to go. Whistler is like one of those kind of uh, world-class resort destination mountain towns um, for, you know, like Aspen or... Um, uh, you know, any of those, yeah, giant, giant resort towns out west, Colorado and um, Utah and stuff has a whole bunch of them. So Whistler's like Canada's claim to fame in the world class mountain resort. Okay. And so I'm near the beach and the beachfront property is like skyrocketing like crazy and um, makes me jealous that when I was like 15, I wasn't smart enough to have aspirations to like buy a little acre somewhere, like start saving up for when you're like 22. Um, but I, I'm assuming that's what's driving up the prices is that people just want to live and ski there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's major destination. So, um, and it's only an hour and a half North of Vancouver, which is like the biggest town West of like Toronto. So it's, um, and you know, just tons of Chinese money there, like lots of Asians buying up everything there and, and buying up everything in Whistler and it's just driving everybody pretty much north and this is really the only direction you can go from there. Why do you say I went and did a year at Whistler and um, I did 10? Is that like a common thing? Cause it's a resort place. You go there and you make some money in like your early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of time people take like a year off of between like high school and university or after university, they'll take a year off or whatever. Um, Australians are huge for this. They had, Back in those days, they had this really great program where you had like a round the world ticket. And so you had all these flights from from major cities uh, all over the world. So it was, you could go all the way around the world and there was no real kind of schedule. You sort of made it up yourself, I guess. And, and Vancouver and Whistler was like one of those stops along the way. So like I met tons of Australians that were doing that. They loved to travel and they're definitely some of the most friendly people you'll ever meet. And, um, and yeah, it was just kind of a, lots of people that I knew were just, you know, they take that year off and, and instead of, you know, some people go backpack around Europe or whatever and doing a season in Whistler, like you'd go for like a winter season and you work for the mountain. So you get a free ski pass and they even had like, budget housing that you could live in if you worked for them and stuff to just make it real easy to for people to just show up and do their thing and party have a good time you didn't make any money and then you made enough for beer and some craft dinner and then uh yeah usually lots of people would have the uh, discipline to go home and get back to life after that but i just i couldn't leave i i 
my plan was to do a year and then I came back in the spring and I told my mom and my girlfriend at the time, like, Hey, I'm sorry, but I'm going back. <laughs> so I worked for another summer back home in Ontario, um, saved up as much as I could. And yeah, I went back and couldn't, couldn't leave. And then that, that winter, actually, my mom came to visit, which is cool. And then she was like, Oh, okay. I get it. Like she saw life there and, uh, and how happy I was and kind of, I was sort of coming out of, of my shell a little bit there. And then, and she was just like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'll tell your dad. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And then it was all good. What, help me understand the appeal about life in Whistler. Like why would, why did it help you get out of your shell? Um, I think the biggest difference in, uh, I guess lifestyle. I mean, it's, there's, there's the obvious ones where it's just like, uh, you just, you know, snowboard every day and um living in the mountains is awesome and you know hiking and uh, everything that there is to do there is all great but i think the biggest thing coming from ontario especially is the difference in mentality there's ontario was very much um live to work whereas out here it was more work to live so you know, we've all, everyone back in Ontario has got this pressure to, okay, you go to high school, get your grades up so you can get into college. And then once you get out of college, immediately you jump into a career and you better meet a significant other pretty soon. So you can buy a house, start a family before you're 25 kind of thing. Like that's just everybody you talk to who's older than you is like, Oh, you, when are you, uh, you know, when are you guys getting married? When are you guys having kids? When are you guys having another kid? It's all that sort of pressure. Whereas out here, it was the opposite. It was, you know, you work enough to afford the stuff you want to do to play basically. Uh, and, um, and man, that just resonated with me big time. Cause that whole work to live to work. And I never got that. It was always such a bummer. And, um, just kind of like seeing your whole life laid out ahead of you like that. And like, now you're doing this for 40 years until you retire and die. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, that was the biggest attraction to me was that sort of freedom to, yeah, to not, not be stressed so much about your, every, what you're going to do every single day, <laughs> you know, being able to wake up and feel like going for a mountain bike ride. So that's what you do is, instead of stressing about yes. trying to make more money or whatever. It sounds so corporate. It kind of, um, so I'm a teacher in Delaware and something um, that appealed to me about teaching once I got into, I started off as a business major. Um, the salary structure, it's very anti-capitalist, but like the salary structure is laid out. So it goes by how many years of experience versus how many um, credits or grad degrees you have. So I saw that and I fucking maxed out my um, college credits to get as far as I could on the pay scale on that side. And now every year I just know what I'm going to make. And the only pressure that some people feel is like if you're not secure enough or if you outspend and you need to be like an assistant principal or a district office person because you get a decent little bump in your pay. But dude, if you're content with like being a teacher and like there's no... There's no like, hey man, our quarterly marks are this. You got to churn out these numbers. Hey, figure out how to improve revenue in this area. You know, you sit around and talk about how to teach kids better, but it's pretty low stress. They're just kids, you know? And it right. was very appealing to me where business, I started in business and I like would sit there in classes and reflect and be like, 
fuck man, like it's never good enough in business. Like you're always driven for like, I gotta get more, I gotta squeeze more. If 20% right. profit the next time, 25% profit or else you're not good enough. If someone can figure out 25% profit, I'm fucked and I'm bad at my job and I could get fired. And like, I remember that hitting me as a 20 year old and feeling stressed, like in an accounting class. And I was like, yeah. how am I going to feel in a like in a real business when I'm like in my mid thirties, if I do have a family and like the stress of, I've got to keep a job to provide. I don't know if I'm like a little bitch for thinking that way. Like I'm not competitive <laughs> or something, but I just like the fact that you got a decent job. You can be pretty s standard middle class and you're not working. You're not living to work. Like you're saying, you know, I don't live to teach. I really enjoy it and it's fun. It enhances my life. It doesn't drive and dictate my life. And that was, um, that was super appealing to me. And I'm surprised that the culture in Canada or at least in um, Ontario was like opposite, but maybe I just run, I don't know. I don't have like big city friends. You know, I wonder if that's more like a big city mentality where you feel that corporate pressure. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about having that security of, okay, here's the dollar figure I'm going to make this year and being able to budget for that. Yeah. That's definitely nice. Um, I can definitely, I'm, I mean, being self-employed now, I can see how, you know, it's, I definitely felt the pressure um, early on in my first couple of years because I just, I knew that uh, those first couple of years are what really can make or break and really, they really set the bar for your business. And if you're not putting in all those extra hours, then somebody else is and they're going to get ahead of you, you know, until you get established and you get a customer base and then you can kind of sit back a little bit and start, you know, focusing a little more on instead of production, 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 a little bit more on being a little more creative or whatever and, and having a little bit of freedom to work that way. But it definitely was, I mean, on, not all of Ontario is yeah. like that. There's cottage country, which is super mellow. It's a lot cooler. If you go east of the Maritimes, it is like, you know, island time style stuff here. It's, it's way laid back out there. Um, very relaxing to hang out on in the Maritimes and the East Coast of Canada. But uh, yeah, big city for sure. I mean, you just, you look at your whole day, like you get up and there's noise already outside and, you know, yeah. at least subconsciously you're like, shit, things happening. Like people are working, people are getting after it. I'm not, I, I, I slept in till six. What am I doing? And then you get out there and people are moving fast. Cars are honking. You get into work, like you're, everything there is just a, for sure. Like go, go, go that big city stuff. Um, they even, there's even studies that say like, they can take a video of you walking and you're, if you have a faster cadence, they can predict that you're, you're from a, you live in a bigger city because you're in a rush. Oh, even right. how you, how you talk, like people who are in those, uh, bigger, faster paced, uh, communities keep, seem to talk faster even just because their whole life is about getting as much in as possible. Like you're saying in the business world, yeah. like if you're not doing it, somebody else is and they're getting ahead of you kind of thing that's definitely pressure that you don't need because that's every single waking hour of every day, you know, some guys working on Saturday getting ahead of you. So you better go do it too. Yeah. Fuck that. I, um, there's oh, fuck. I was reading it today too. And it's the largest four day work week study. I want to say it might be somewhere in Carolina, um, where basically there's this think tank and they're trying to convince they're going to chart, hey man, we're going to let you work four days and we're going to supplement with all kinds of businesses from like medical field all the way to like pizza delivery to breweries. 
And it's like, but we need you to maintain production. So can you figure out how to maintain your current level of production with one less required work day? And just the fact that those kind of studies are now happening in America, you're like, thank God, man, because how much shit do you need? You know, like you just think about how much is wasted and how much is access and how much isn't taken care of. And for what? Like how many, how many different, how much, how many times do you need to upgrade to your Range Rover type thing? How come <laughs> you can't be content with like a Kia, you know, like it's just very, I don't know. I don't know how I got that mentality, but I like that I have that mentality. Cause I don't feel, I don't have like a ton of FOMO of like, I'm missing out on having things. Now what sucks is I don't have a ton of money to like, if I wanted to like travel to Ontario to check that out, like I'd have to budget for that and save up. And I guess maybe that would be my only like capitalistic regret is that I don't work enough to like have that kind of travel freedom. But I don't like, I, I love the fact that I don't feel like the need of, I have to lease a car because I always want the newest, freshest. <laughs> and then I have to stay in like whatever, a $400 a month car payment or I really care about my square footage. You know, I'm mm. like, no, I don't, I give a fuck less. Actually, the lower my ceilings, the lower my heating bill. It's less, <laughs> it's less to heat, you know, it's less to cool. Um, and I hope that will kind of come back. I like I really COVID the pandemic, it seems like made people realize like, what the fuck were we doing? Why were we working so hard, man? Maybe we need a little more free time for us. I remember saying to a buddy of mine right at the start when, when they were talking about like lockdowns and shutting down businesses and stuff like that. I was like, well, number one, that's not good. But uh, astute if, observation. Yeah, thanks. I was really on it, <laughs> head of the curve. But um, no, I remember thinking like I hope because I would I was already like a bunch of years into doing knife making full time, and I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to almost to, to give that a dry run to see if that was going to work. And, um, I mean, our, I, I was, we were already living up here in Quinal at the time. And so our cost of living was low enough that it, it wasn't, you know, you know, at the end of the world, if I missed out on a couple months of paychecks, if I tried this out, but I remember thinking like, Hey, maybe this is going to be what people need to, I mean, they have no choice now. Maybe they'll go and spend some time on that passion or that project that they always wanted to do, but they were always too busy working yeah. or too tired and, um, and so I was, I was, I remember thinking like, maybe people aren't, maybe there'll be a big influx of people who don't end up going back to work when, when they're supposed to. And they're like, you know what, I got this other thing. It's going kind of good. And I like all the spare time and this, or this, you know, freedom in my schedule that I've got now. And, um, I wonder if that happened or not. I've never really looked into if, uh, you know, there was a big influx of like, uh, home business owners or yeah, right. like or small business, small business creation, little side hustles turn to your main gig. I mean, that's how I started the podcast. Literally. I'd always had the idea and I was fucking around with, um, teacher, like another dude that I share a room with on parent teacher conference night. And we we're like, you know, man, I think I'd like to try this. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, I shifted it. Originally I was going to go to like bars and, um, hang out at like dentist office and like places where people were trapped and had to sit and just go to them when you're getting your oil changed and your mechanics and be like, hey, man, instead of getting on your phone, can I get to know you? And like I'd have two mics and I'd just record it. And I was like, it'd just be like something kind of stupid to do to encourage people 
to get off their phones and to connect, you know, when you have no choice but to sit around and wait. Then the pandemic, that's a cool idea too, because I mean, that's so random. Who knows who you're going to run into like that? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And like it, part of it was like, I'd go watch a football game. I'd ride my bike to go watch football on Sunday and I'd look at the bar and there'd be you know, people there, but they wouldn't interact you know, like they'd be on their phones and you're like, that kind of sucks. It sucks. Number one, you're like, if you're here to watch a game, you want to have a vibe. Right. And then, you know, I just, the more I looked around and look waiting in grocery store lines and everybody's got on their phone. And as a teacher, you see kids on their phone and you're already like, fuck man, the world's going to end. Nobody talks anymore. All they do is post videos. But then, you know, I'm getting my oil changed and I'm like, this is terrible. Doctor's office where you used to like thumb through the magazines and look around. It's like, everyone's just on their phone. There's no common experience. So I was like, man, that I, where can I zag? What would be interesting to counteract this? And that's where I came up with the idea. Pandemic hits and you're like, fuck, you can't get near anybody. You know, you get, you have to wipe down takeout containers. So definitely can't share a microphone. And I figured maybe I'll just randomly message people, you know, and that's, that's how it worked out. But I had the time to figure out how to do all sorts of shit, like edit. I never, I, didn't know I didn't know how to take audio files and edit things in I didn't know how to message how to upload podcasts how to make a logo and I wouldn't have had all that trial and error time had not been for the pandemic and forced to not go anywhere so it was really for me it was now it's not like I don't think like your business where I'm like living off of this thing but I have enough reps where I can continue it while I work you know because it's I found efficiencies in it and yeah, you need that sort of um, that weird break in period where, uh, yeah, like you say, it's it's super inefficient. <laughs> Everything you're doing, you're yeah. learning as you go super slow. And you need that chunk of time where most people don't get that piece of time, especially if they got, you know, kids at home and they're dealing with that. That's almost a full time job in itself. And yeah, man, that nine to five, Monday to Friday is a killer. And then on the weekends, you got to cut the lawn and, you know, who knows what else. Kids got baseball or whatever. And it or just, you just it get wrecked because you're like, you hate your job so much that you just get smashed all weekend. Yeah, that, and you feel for like sure. Shit. Yeah. And then it's like, where did the weekend go? I don't even remember, you know, because you just so detest your nine to five or your Monday. I remember when I was like 13 or 14, I was really into golf. And um, I remember being out on the course one time with this buddy of mine. He was older. He's probably in his early 20s or something. And in my head, being an early, you know, a younger teenager at the time, I was like, wow, this guy's really got his shit together. And then we we're playing with um, one of my friend's dads. And he was just your like career, um, uh, like a manufacturing plant kind of guy. Like he just worked on a line. We had this huge plant, um, General Electric plant in my hometown and you know most a bunch of the town worked there and it was just shift work for 40 years kind of thing and he was one of those guys and we were out on the weekend that was he he had a weekend day i had to go and play golf and we're hanging out with him and i remember this the other guy the younger guy came up to me one at, at one point i remember the hole that we were on we we're walking down the fairway and he says to me and this guy's just like works all week looking forward to that one round of golf he gets on the weekend and he works 50 year, fifty weeks a year looking forward to those two weeks he gets off. Like that's his, that's his, and then it was, that was it. And he walked away, but it had such an impact on me. I was like, holy shit, that guy works 50 weeks and gets two off. 
Like that's his whole, and, and it was huge impact on me. And I was in, you know, ninth grade or something at the time. And I was, it was such a great lesson for me to have at that point in my life. Like, okay, I, I need to not end up like that kind of thing. Is <laughs> <laughs> what I got out of that. You know, I mean, sure. He's again, he's got his, he's got his job security. He knows exactly how much he's making that year kind of thing. And he can budget for everything he needs. But man, that was so it sounded like such a limited waste of your life. You know what I mean? Well, if it's unfulfilling, like, man, if you have like that factory job, cubicle job, and I've never done factory work, so I don't want to like besmirch it. Never really done cubicle work. I've, I was a restaurant worker and now I'm a teacher, right? So those are my two professions. And I really liked restaurants because I loved the multitasking. I loved the people interaction. And I love the fact that there was a little unpredictability about um, how much cash am I going to make? It was like a weird hustle. Like if I'm having a slow night, how can I coax you into making up for the fact that I don't have a ton of money right now, you know? And it was a weird like manipulation, but at the same time you enjoyed also enhancing people's evening because you felt like, oh my God, I made your night this much better and you gave me this much more money for it. That's kind of a cool thing. I could not imagine doing something day after day and like not being challenged the rote monotony, the lack of creativity that goes into just fucking whatever, like stamping something right. Or like factory line work. And I'm like, Jesus dude, how long could you look at that same part and repeat the same motion and like be okay? I just, I think it's, I think there's probably something generational there too. Like his parents, we're probably like really lucky to have a job. Yeah. Right. You know, kind, kind of thing. And so him growing up like that, he was probably just in that point where he was like, fuck, at least I got work at least, you know, that sort of thing. So, so there's that part to it as well. And we're real fortunate that our parents went through that. And now we're at the point, you yeah. know, on the shoulders of giants kind of thing where. Yeah. They um, established like an economy. Have, yeah. I, but then again, I mean, you got to be real careful because there's that saying of how the, um, you know, hard men create soft times or easy times and easy times, you know, then create soft men and yeah. so on and so forth. You've probably heard that <laughs> that saying before, but that's, um, I feel like we're right at the brink of that <laughs> happening right now, creating harder times for ourselves. But yeah, I, I think that that's, that probably comes into play too, is we never saw that life of like, any, any work you can get, you better get it and be happy you got it and make sure you keep it kind of thing. Well, COVID with the food shortage was one of the first times around here, like in my life, and I'm, I'll be 41 this summer. It's the first time I remember going to a grocery store and not seeing items that I wanted. And it flipped me the fuck out. Like you'd always be like, oh, there's going to be no milk because there's a storm coming, right? And you're like, you could rationalize that. But like you go in and you're like, Yo, where are the fucking steaks? I, I was going to cook steak tonight. And like, there's no steaks for a week. And that was, that started messing with me. Now there was other food you could eat. It's not like well, I was starving, but just that little bit of uncertainty. I, I had to like fight back some paranoia on my part. And I could yeah, imagine I mean, like, in, like what they've gone through, like people went through the great depression and just soup lines and shit like that. You're like, it, you almost can't fat. It's like life before telephones. Like, how do you fathom it? How do you fathom life before a smartphone, before internet? Like, kids can't. 
Yeah, it's there's a lot that we take for granted. Yeah. We we're on a well out here, and I mean, people don't realize like you take for granted every time you walk up to a tap and turn the tap on, water is going to come out, and for most people, it's going to be clean and you can drink it. Once in a while, if we're overusing our well. If we have a dry summer, it'll it dries up a little bit. All of a sudden, you turn on the tap and there's no water, and it's like, well, yeah. what do I? I was going to wash my hands. I was going to cook something. I was going to have a shower. Now you can't. You know, it's people get a glimpse of that when the power goes out for a couple hours or something like that. It's just like, Oh, this sucks. I can't play my video game or whatever. It's like, shit, man, (laughs) you're lucky you have that power most of the time. Cause if it all goes away, it's, you know, a lot of people be in for a, a real surprise. And that, that was, that's always something that was always kind of on my mind too. And trying to be a little bit more, um, self-reliant when it comes to food supply, because where we are up here, I mean, if the trucks stop coming, what do you do yeah. if trucks aren't coming? So, yeah, that that could easily just happen all of a sudden. Yeah, it'd be real interesting, the civilization. Because when you think of hard, soft people, like I think of the military, and like you have a lot of respect for them, and it seems like they're very tough. And I'm like, there seems like there's a ton of badass motherfuckers, at least in America, who could handle bad situations. I don't know if I'm one of them. I'm a, I'm a, right? Like, I, I think, like, if civilization goes awry, like, if it was a Walking Dead scenario, I don't know how many episodes or how many seasons I'm surviving in The Walking Dead with me being me. And at some, and for some reason, I'm like, eh, I'm okay with it. It won't happen. <laughs> and I just keep, like, living my soft little metropolitan life. And it's, it's, it is a weird feeling when you stop and think about, like, how reliant you are on so much that I have no idea how to do or use. I don't know how to fix a smartphone or anything. If it breaks, I just buy another one. I don't know how to fix plumbing. I hire a plumber. I don't know how to get water. I just hire somebody and they fix my well. Electricity, nope, goes out and I'll just hire somebody. Like very not self-reliant. I couldn't build a house. I think I built a dog house once. You know, like I, I can't start a fire from scratch. I got to have fire to start fire kind of thing. You know, I don't, I'd Google it if I had to, but what happens if I don't have Google, you know, like what happens if I don't have YouTube and it can be a very weird, it's weird that we've accepted and just like we're society dependent and we're okay with that. Everybody's just like, yeah, society will always be there. Well, yeah, I mean, everything's awesome until it's not, and then it's not real fast. And, um, yeah, there's really not, I mean, there's a bit of a push into people pretending to be a little more self-reliant and going out in the woods and playing around for a couple of days, building fires and stuff, which is great. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you don't, like you're talking about the military guys, I think a lot of them, part of their training, they put them in those tough situations so that they can handle it. And so that, I mean, you talk about like uh, the Marines that go through hell week where they just, I mean, they don't let them sleep and make them, swim in the freezing ocean and do all this insane shit, basically trying to break them because you don't know how far you can go until you're there. Right. And so I think that's kind of the point of a lot of those military guys are badasses for sure, because they've been put through that stuff. And so they know exactly where their, their point is. And they more so they know what they can handle, which is probably a lot more than a lot of us think. Um, Or even just how to get through toughness. Like, I think that's something tough times that can flip a lot of people out is you, you get in a tough time and it's in your head. It's like, it's never going to end. 
how do I cope in the moment with pain, with discomfort? And mm. if you can get through that, if you can focus on the, I'm going to get out, then the tough times aren't as tough, right? Because now you're actively solving it or doing it. Um, you see it with kids, like kids get frustrated, two, three-year-olds get frustrated trying to whatever, put a cube into a circle and they just wig out, they throw it, they cry, it's a tantrum. And you're like, wait, man, have you tried a different spot, right? And people don't outwardly act like that as they get older for the most part, <laughs> but they feel that inwardly. And if they don't know how to overcome it with the problem, they just quit or they develop some terrible habit to cope with the feeling that they have. And it's a... Uh, it, yeah, if, if you're not challenged enough, that's why like working out matters, right? And that's why like doing hard shit matters because it just builds up this resilience in you to then when things get bad, you're like, okay, I know how to get, I know what the process is. Like, you know, the scientific method <laughs> to get through shit right. and then you just apply it to different scenarios or situations. Yeah, that's the, uh, what you were saying about the, men, the mental game is huge, I think. Um, and and like you're saying, like putting yourself in those tough situations, like working out, like, okay, you know, I got two more miles to run and being able to mentally get through that on top of the physical part. I think that's huge for sure. Is, is yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who, I mean, people are very uh, adaptable to a lot of situations. I think like if, if things started going really sour, there would be like a couple of days there where, or, or a week where, there will be a lot of freaking out and everything, but then I think a lot of people would kind of adapt to that situation. Like if our water, we, we lose water, we kind of adjust things a little bit. And for a couple of days while we, the well fills back up, we figure it out and, um, and doesn't become as big a deal as it seemed right off the bat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, just like, you know, a lot of situations with COVID, like everyone's losing their minds about some stuff and then it all didn't seem to be as bad as we thought it was going to be right off the bat. But yeah, that, but that mental game is, I mean, it's, it's massive in, in lots of things like being self-employed. There's a huge mental game in that too. Yeah. I'm curious. When did you realize you were going to be a knife guy? Like, did you play with knives as a child? And like, you were the guy like sharpening weird little objects and they were like, don't give Mike a pencil. Don't let him play with plastic. Um, it's funny you say that because my, my kid is just like that. <laughs> but no, I was never, um, you know, never really like obsessed. I always loved the utility of a knife. I remember from being a, like a kid and, you know, your grandfather gives you a a little Swiss army knife or something it's like that. So fucking I really, cool. Like when you I, get yeah, your I, first knife, man, it is like life. Not only do you feel like a man, but it's life changing. Like you could kill a bear with it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just loved, um, you know, talking about preparedness. I just loved having that, the utility of that tool with me. Um, and that really just sparked off like all these, I'm that guy that has, you know, a bunch of tools in his truck in case anything goes wrong or someone else needs it. Or, you know, if we go mountain biking, a bunch of us are into biking. I'm the one with all the tools in my pack so that I, you know, I just like being prepared for stuff. Right. And, um, or I guess more so I hate being unprepared is really yeah. more what it is, but that you, that tool of, of having a knife on you with so many uses and that, that was always with me when I was really young. Um, and I, but you know, I, I didn't really know that that's what that was, but I, you know, I had that feeling of having it with me, I guess. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of, I, I never, I never 
ever thought I was going to be like really into knives. I always liked making stuff when I was a kid. I was always taking apart stuff around the house and trying to make other stuff. And my dad always had lots of tools and some scrap wood and I'd always be trying to build stuff. Um, that was always really satisfying to me. It was just putting things together to make something that was, you know, greater than its parts sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I always had the drive to do that, to create things. Um, and it's, <laughs> it, it sat really dormant for a long time while I was, you know, working in a snowboard shop in Whistler for a bunch of years or, you know, all the little odd jobs that I had to do to get by. They were, they never really satisfied that part of me. And then I just, I watched a video on YouTube, of course, you know, it's where you learn everything. And, um, cause my buddy, Jeff, we were down in Vancouver and they've got this thing called the night market where it's at night and it's this huge market, outdoor market. And there's just vendors, all kinds of cool stuff. And there was this one booth that had two for one knives and really cheap, super shitty, like Chinese knives. And, but you know, we didn't know anything better. So we were like, oh, cool. Two for one. What a great deal. Oh, and you get so, a free ninja star. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So he, um, so we bought a couple. And then on the way back to the car, he was showing me one of his and he's like, check it out. This one's got like the, the handles like bolted on so I can take it off and like make a handle myself out of some wood that I've got at home or whatever. And that never occurred to me to do something like that to customize to anything, you know, like even, you know, hand, uh, your hammer handle breaks, you just buy a whole new hammer, right? Yeah, never thought exactly. like you could just replace that. Um, and so I thought oh, that's cool. So I went home, looked up a video and figured like, I wonder if I can do this with one of these shitty knives that I bought. And, um, sure enough, I'll pop a couple of videos of how to make a whole knife from scratch. And back in those days, there was like maybe three like watchable videos on YouTube of how to actually make a knife. They're so terrible, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it was enough that it looked approachable. Like it looked like I could do it. I'm pretty good with my hands. I've got some of the tools we're talking about. So, um, I managed to scrounge up the materials and I made this really terrible knife, but, uh, but it was a real thing. Like I'm, this concept in my head and this sketch that I drew on paper turned into the real, a real knife, like a, a thing that could actually hold and it was sharp and I could use it. And it was like, wow, this is, you know, this isn't on a video game or it's not on a screen where I drew a picture and yeah, cool. Yeah. It's a picture. It was an actual thing in my hand. Right. And then I realized any shape that I can draw onto paper, I can turn into a knife. And from there it was like, I had just dozens and dozens of these drawings of <laughs> crazy weird things that would have never worked. And, but a couple of them that were kind of cool and I, you know, turned those into real knives and, um, you know, slowly got a little bit better at grinding bevels and shaping handles and all these little things. And then, um, and then I started showing my, my buddies, like, you know, check out this knife that I made. And they're like, what, you, how do you make it? You made it. What do you mean you made it? That was the biggest question I used to get is like, what do you mean? I still get, what do you mean you make knives? I still get that a lot from when people find out like, what do you mean you make it like the handle and you know, people trying to like wrap their brain around actually making something is really trippy to me, <laughs> but it just, it grew from there and um, people started paying me money for them a little bit and yeah, it just kind of escalated and slowly but surely grew real slow. And now I'm talking to you I'm on the internet. <laughs> I man, I'm, Something I'm trying to work on in this complete side is like, especially with the zoom aspect and the delay is like the interjection during a story. Cause I thought of like 20 different things while you were telling that 
Oh, but sorry. I, no, 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 dude. It's not your fault at all because it's just part of my like self-reflecting is do you interject too much? Are you like almost overly curious where you just fuck up someone's storytelling, you know? Right. But when you made the first knife, my first question, I'm, maybe I should need to start like jotting them down or writing them down or shit like as I go, hey, as you mentioned at the 38 minute mark when you first, <laughs> but I'm curious when you made your first knife, did you do anything cool with it? Did you like carve whittle did you try to like slice a can in half did you go squirrel hunting i don't know if i've ever cut anything with it <laughs> it's really not a great knife it's it's very very poor <laughs> but I, I i think that it was just i think it was more like i was i didn't want to wreck it i didn't want to scratch it i didn't want to you know i was just like oh this thing's super cool and i still like there's lots of them that i make and once in a while i'll keep one and i'm when they're when they're brand new and shiny and and perfect, uh, you know as perfect as I can get them. They're, I mean, I I really appreciate when people get their knife and go and use it and then show me pictures of it dirty and and you know, sending it back to get sharpened that sort of thing is that's great because then people are actually using it. But I fully understand when people get one and they're like, oh man, it's like almost too nice to use kind of thing, because until it does get a couple of scuffs on it. It's, uh, yeah, you, you almost, you handle it with kid gloves kind of thing. Like when you get, you, you buy a new truck and you're like, oh, I don't want to like even yeah. touch it. I don't want to drive it. I don't want to get it dirty until you no get food inside. <laughs> yeah, totally. Until it gets a little bit dirty and then it's like, oh, whatever. It's just knock truck. your boots off. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, no, with that one, I, it's just, uh, it's, it's on the shelf and down in my office and I don't think I've ever actually got anything with it. Dude, that's cool that you kept it. It's almost like a business's first dollar that they put up on the wall or something like that, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, there's a couple of guys that I've spoken to who are like, oh, man, I, I wish I still had my first knife. And I'm like, how did you not keep your first, <laughs> the first one that you make on it? You know, you can always make another one. Yeah, well, I guess maybe they're, they're true entrepreneurs. They were like, sell everything. It's all about profit. Well, yeah, the, you, you also shouldn't be selling the first knife you make either <laughs> because it's probably <laughs> it's no good. What I, no. I got really fortunate when my buddy was um, got really into art and um, and he was one of the guys who, you know, study a lot and he studied a lot of artists and stuff and um, philosophy and stuff. And he came up, he, he ran across this guy who said, um, I'm so glad he shared it with me too. He said, you should give away your first hundred pieces of art that you make. Mm. Because then, you know, once you, by the time you get to 101 to actually try and sell something, now you've got all that experience behind you. You've, you know, you've made 100 at that point. So you should be good-ish or good enough to ask money for something. And also for that first 100 pieces, you're not worrying about making money. You're not worrying about is someone going to like this kind of thing, right? You're just doing your own thing and knocking out more and more of them until you get to 100. And um I've, I think of that every time I see someone just like pop up on Instagram, Hey, I'm a new knife maker. And, um, you know, asking 600 bucks for these knives that they're making and stuff. It's like how many you've made like a dozen knives and you're just trying to make a living off it right off the bat. Yeah. Is your last name Ginsu? Is that why? <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you a descendant? Yeah. No, dude, that's a good point. Cause also, like, man, it would suck if you felt that pressure knife three and now you're pigeonholed in blank, right? And I, yeah. I, know, I know nothing about knives or anything. So if I 
insult you and sound stupid, it's because I don't mean to insult you, but I am stupid about knives especially. <laughs> and it's like, what if you just like all of a sudden your first two knives are like, you make a butcher knife and a paring knife and all of a sudden it's like, oh dude, the utility knife goes nuts. So fuck the paring knife, fuck the kitchen set knife. It's just this utility knife with whatever, like a ridge blade. And you're like, yeah, that's it. And now that's how you're making your money and that's your driver and you don't get to explore. Like that yeah. would that would be terrible. That gets back to like the factory corporate mindset versus the creative purpose. Like I'm I'm creating my own purpose. I'm following it's like you're following your own spirit and letting your spirit guide you into what feels right versus letting a market dictate what needs to be made. I, I, that, I, that is really smart. Yeah, it's, I mean, it gets tricky, especially when, if you're, I mean, like I'm full time, so this is like my job. Um, so it gets really difficult. You have to, to try and balance that, like uh, giving yourself the time to do that creative stuff. You always got this little list in the back of your mind of things that you want to try or, or new ideas. Um, but you have to also pay the bills. You got to get these custom orders to the people who've been waiting for them. So there's really a balancing act there. But you're uh, established. Like, should you feel that pressure? Knife 10, right? You want to, right. I think the point of the hundred free art pieces is great. Cause it's like you get to explore and you get to create this portfolio of offerings versus limiting yourself. And now you're a niche. I would think you might become a niche market. You wouldn't realize your potential because oh, yeah. like what you're consumed with now, you probably should be consumed with is like that balance. But at first you don't have the other end of the portfolio to balance you. So you get, I think, overwhelmed or anchored. Like you get tethered to the business part. Yeah, I could see that being attractive. Like you make this one type of knife that people like and it sells and you're like, cool, I'm going to make more of those because they make money kind of thing. Um, there's so many people who just just make kitchen knives or I just make these hunting knives or, you know, folding guys, they only make, you know, a couple of different types of folders sort of thing. And it's, um, it's from one, on the one hand, you're just basically cutting yourself off of half the market. You're only making kitchen knives. You got the whole market out there wants hunting knives or vice versa. Yeah. And there's, and there's lots of things that can lend to each other there too. There's lots of things from a kitchen knife that you could, borrow and put into or explore into a hunting knife and vice versa there's things there there's some crossover that should happen that you may never learn if you only ever stuck with the one type um and yeah just like you're saying like your own personal growth like you should definitely you don't know until you try it yeah i think that's and just thinking back as i get older our conversation the whole living to work working to live thing i think that's where people can get very unfulfilled and just have like almost like a bad lifestyle. Cause I think if you spend a ton of your time, not enjoying doing something, how is that good in any way? <laughs> like it can't be right. Like a work 40 hour work week. If you're not enjoying it, how is that at all good for you? It has to have terrible effects on your body, your mind, your mental, oh, yeah. you know, like it just, so I like the, I, I think people are meant to create. Like I, when you were talking about you're a kid and you're tinkering, like it's awesome that you were able to figure out a way to tinker. Like it had to be boring as hell at a, as a snowboard clerk or like if you're working in that shop and all you're doing is like working to register, right? Like that had yeah. to drive you nuts. Well, I mean, there's, people have different motivations too. 
I mean, th- that whole time, all that I'm not thinking like, oh, I wish I was, I wish I could be, we're building something. I'm, all I'm thinking is, this is sweet. I get a free pass for doing this and I'm making <laughs> enough money. You know, the, the hours roll by, but every hour is another 15 bucks or whatever I was yeah. making, right? So it's, people have different, there's different justifications and that sort of, if that's what your, your focus is and that's your, that's your reason for doing it, then those other things don't tend to creep in. I think that's pretty youthful though, man. I think when you get caught there, cause like what kid, dude, I almost fucking dropped out of high school to be a line cook at Burger King. Cause I was like, yo, I can make $12 an hour. Do you know the rims I could get from my car in three weeks? <laughs> And I literally almost <laughs> dropped out as a junior because I wanted to fucking put some 18-inch chrome on my Ford Escort. Like, how terrible is that? And now all of a sudden, like, what do I do, right? Because now I'm money dependent. So, like, I think at, like, certain times of your life, yeah, you're just getting through and you're looking, oh, man, this is just like a stopgap. But I don't think, like, evolutionary or, like, just societally, you don't want to be there at, like, 40, 30, you don't want to be like, oh yeah, I'm still in my stopgap. I'm just looking to get through my day. I really feel something about people. Like you want to have a value add. You want to feel like you're contributing in some way. Yeah, I think that kind of stuff develops. Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. most people don't feel that through high school sort of yeah. thing. That Yeah, it's, it's a funny evolution and it, I think it's difficult too, but I think it's important to try and recognize that in your life kind of taking the step back, big picture kind of thing, like looking at where you're at, where you've become from, where you want to be and how you're going to get there. Because there's your, yeah, your, your tests in life change constantly, right? Throughout your, throughout your life as you grow. And um, I, I think it's really important to recognize if you're getting stuck, like you're saying, in that one thing and not pushing through it. Yeah, I looking for that next looking for the next thing yeah yeah i kind of see it with kids i don't want to get on a stupid tangent but like i see it sometimes in schools where kids really feel like shit about themselves and it's like because they can never write a perfect essay and it's like dude i know a bunch of kids can write a good essay and you think your essays suck that doesn't mean you suck it just means maybe you're just not into essays (laughs) like right you know like dude you fucking you can you can there there's a bunch of kids around here who can fish and hunt like crazy and it's like yeah, okay, so you don't read books. You're never going to get a good grade when we go to book reading. But if the electricity goes off, you're going to be the first person I go find, man. Like, you're still valuable. And it sucks when, and then you, like, if you help a kid understand that, they can then cope with and they don't get so sad at their, at their failures. They're like, oh, yeah, this just isn't a strength of mine. It doesn't mean I am a failure. And I, I, I think of them and I'm like, could you imagine if those kind of kids got stuck as fucking, like, book editors and that was their job every day to read and find details that are incorrect in books they'd be miserable they'd, they'd hate their lives they'd go fucking postal and you're like i just i don't know a ton ton of people who are in that position but you meet them every once in a while and like you've got no energy and like what's your purpose and i just i think it's really cool when i get to interact with people like you are creative and you're passionate. Like even just talking, you started talking about knives, dude. Like y- you had a different vibe to you. You can just tell like you're pat, like you're into it. Like it's cool to you. And it's like, dude, that's so fucking neat that you get to do something you really enjoy and earn a living with it. And you're creative. Like, I, I feel like that's a, a perfect blend for like contentness, happiness. 
I definitely feel very, very fortunate that I've been able to do this or, or to be able to do something that um, I really enjoy doing. And I've, I was never super creative growing up that I knew about, but maybe I just didn't have the outlet, I guess. Um, and it's, it's creativity is a weird one because it's hard to really define. Same with the word art. A lot of people throw around that word artist all the time, especially with knives and stuff. And it's it's weird. I don't know what that word art artist means, like how you define art. Someone once said if if it inspires somebody else to be creative, then that that's how they defined art. I thought that was pretty good. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it's we're I'm so lucky that uh, <laughs> yeah that I've got that sort of that I can do this for now, but uh, that I'm. It's not like going to work. I don't wake up upset about it. You get shitty days. There's parts of it that suck for sure. There's, you know, parts of it where I'm at the, you know, you're exhausted at the end of the day and you take off this giant full face respirator you've been wearing all day and it's 35 degrees or 85, 90 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. And, uh, and yeah, you just burnt, but I've got, uh, I, I used to be in construction and the worst thing, for me, the part I hated the worst was roofing, oh, and I got this whiteboard on my uh, above my desk in my shop, above the workbench, and it's you know with notes and shit. And then at the bottom, I've got written "You're not on a roof," and so every time like I'm feeling like fuck, if I really want to hand sand another goddamn blade, I just look up and be like, yeah, you know, but I'm not on a roof. It's not ten below and icy, and I'm not strapped into a harness hoping I don't die. It's not so bad. <laughs> Dude, that's that's where it's at is and i think that's what should be the focus for people is like do something that you hate or that's pretty bad and be able to get out of it because it gives you perspective and appreciation yeah perspective is huge um joe i'd listened to rogan a bunch and one of his recent uh sayings he's he's latched on to is the worst the worst thing that's happened to you is the worst thing that has happened to you. That's, that's all you, that's like, you're talking about kids can't fit the square block into the cube thing and they freak out because that's the worst thing that's ever happened yeah. to them is not being able to fit that stupid block into that hole. Um, whereas the Marines have gone through hell week. And so being trapped in some muddy ditch for a couple of days, maybe isn't that bad. They've got that perspective. Yeah, and it would make them laugh at your like first world problems of whatever totally, somebody yeah. didn't text you back or you know right. you didn't like, you're like, dude, stop. But that's why like that's why we get all cynical with kids. It's like that's that's what you're upset about. And it's like, yeah, but that is the worst thing that they've experienced now. Can it's hard to keep that in mind, yeah, but my my five year old <laughs> freaks out about things and it's just like boy, we were just talking the other day, like, man, he's He's so fortunate to be growing up, just like my parents told me, you know, you, you don't get it. You know, you, we should ship you off to somewhere in Africa for a week to live. So you have some appreciation because that's, you don't, that's, you takes perspective to have appreciation really. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like what you forget that. Um, and it might've been a Jordan Peterson thing where I was listening to his like 2015 lectures that he had posted. It's, um, when he was in Toronto and he was trying to help people understand, like if you're in college hearing this, no matter how downtrodden you think you are, you're a top one percenter in the world 
or maybe it was like you're really a top 10 percenter. Like it was one of those things where like, oh, you hate the one percenters. Well, you're actually a one percenter just being in a civilization. <laughs> and it was like yeah. really weird when you start adding shit up like that. And you're like, you're right. Like genetic lottery wise, like karma, fate, whatever. The fact that I'm in America and I'm not in Colombia or fucking Argentina somewhere like or Kenya dealing with coffee fields like man it's 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 legit i'm not in indonesia the philippines like there's a ton of fucked up i'm not in russia Can you imagine being born in siberia the fuck is that like <laughs> yeah like or north korea you're yeah saying. right yeah no shit man like it's so like you're already there and it makes it hard to understand it because you never want to go there you basically do everything in your life to avoid that and you need a little bit of that so that you can appreciate the this is what you have. I don't, I, I think when I was a kid, like you would see National Geographic and be like, oh, look at these people who live in the jungle or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, oh, dude, check out her boob. <laughs> right, no. <laughs> but it was, I, I never put together like those are people, like you could be there, that could yeah. be your life. Like I never pictured that as like a whole, it was always, so peripheral it was always just like a you know another image on the screen kind of thing but as i've gotten older and like some shit's gone on and it's easy to see how stuff could easily be that could easily be you too um i've started really appreciating more and more like how how easy or how how easily that could be that could be you um, even just the, you know, the smallest shit, you see some people around town and you're just like, man, a couple of shitty decisions and that's you right there kind of thing. Right. Dude. And that's, um, I don't know. It's weird how that's, how that's changed in when I, my perspective of just like actually putting myself in other people's shoes and trying to imagine life like that. I never used to do that when I was a kid. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think you, yeah. Cause you're ex- in your own life, man. I, um, I do it a ton as a teacher. Like I eat shit and I smile and I'm able to, dude, I get, I get cursed. <laughs> there are some kids that I sit down next to and I'll just, I sit down next to them and I'm here to help them. And you can tell they just don't want to whatever, right? Write an essay, read a page, answer a question. So you're like, Hey blank, how are you today? Jesus Christ, I fucking hate you. Would you leave me alone and go rotten hell? And, wow. And yeah, and you're like, so, a little rough morning today, huh? <laughs> and you know, like, these are kids that are dealing with, like, gender identity issues or fucking they're, like, physically abused or their parents are neglectful. And, like, you're like, do I want to let you punk me right now? Do I want to take this physical? Fuck no, man. Like, bitch, you, were, you can't talk to me like that. I'm grown. <laughs> but then I'm like, what am I going to meet you with, right? But the perspective of understanding what they go through and knowing their backstory allows me to be like, well, last week you cursed me out with, or you had five F-bombs. Thank you for only having one this time. I see you're making progress. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And like, you just go with something like that because you're like, thank God that's not me that I feel the need to yell at someone who's trying to help me because of whatever I've been through. And like, if you don't have that perspective, man, you go around and you get angry when stuff happens to you. Cause you feel like it's unjust and you're like, ah, oh, man, like maybe that's happening cause someone else is going through some stuff and it, I'm aware enough to take it and then to try to help them through it. Yeah. I remember, I remember seeing some, 
I don't know, probably some meme or something online. And it was like, um, you know, next, next time you're angry at someone in front of you for driving too slow or, you know, just think, well, maybe they just had like some bad accident last week and they're just, you know, getting back into, you know, trying to drive or, um, it, it just had that maybe, you know, if someone's in, maybe the guy in line at the checkout at the grocery store took a couple seconds to realize that it was his turn to move ahead and, you know, you flipped out on him, but what you didn't realize was his wife just died and he's got a lot on his mind and all this shit. Like you, no one knows at all what anyone else is going through kind of thing. And that really stuck with me a little bit. And cause I, you know, I freak out at people way too easily and I got a short fuse sometimes and stuff, but it's trying to, trying to remind myself shit like that. Like you have no idea who's sitting in that other car, what their day's been like, you know what I mean? And there's lots of times when I'm distracted or whatever. And, you know, it, it'd be nice if people would appreciate that of me, Yeah. but I can't expect that of them if I don't have that same, same sort of mindset too. Yeah. So I've been trying to, trying to work on that a little bit myself personally, but just, yeah, trying to, trying to have some sort of compassion for you. I mean, you have no idea what people are going yeah, through. No doubt, man. Just a little bit of grace. Cause what does it matter to you? Right? Like, why are we so fucking uptight? Like life yeah. is good. Why, why are we so angry at getting cut off? Right? Like let it go. It shouldn't escalate. It should deescalate. Make some funny story about it, a joke and roll on with your life, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe it comes back to that thing where maybe you haven't had enough hardship in the last couple of days. Maybe you haven't had a hard enough workout or put yourself in that situation where you've got all this extra energy and lately the heart the, the worst thing that's happened to you is you got cut off and so that, that's where all that energy goes to right? dude that is true man the the people who don't like you see it with like idle hands or the devil's playground type shit like if you don't exert that energy is going to come out you're going to yeah. fucking yell at you're going to get some primal anger out some way whether you go for a long run you lift some weights you whatever wrestle with somebody right but like it's coming out. And if you don't have that outlet, if you're just sedentary for the majority of your day, like you're something in you is looking for that. It makes you feel alive. Yeah. You know, you need that. Yeah, you're you just... need that rise. Like, ah, yeah. it's huh. like, okay, maybe you only get that once a week when you get drunk and watch the Eagles play or something. And like, that's why you go nuts when you're in the stadium. Cause you don't have anything else to go nuts of. But then you see someone who's just tired from dealing with a sick kid. And then something bad will happen and they're like, why is that that bad? You're like, yeah, you mm -hmm. know what? It isn't that bad. I thought it was really serious. Yeah, you're you know just what? a, nah. you're really a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, that was a, a long way from your first knife. Um, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious about like the business side of you. Did you go to school for like formal business now that you have a successful business or have you just been figuring that out along the way and like Googling? How do I file taxes? <laughs> what what are exemptions? <laughs> yeah, uh, it would have been really handy <laughs> if I had any type of formal business training. Now, I mean, at school we were just Excel just came out, you know, when I was in high school, and we were like, "Oh, cool, this will add things for you." Fantastic. Um, so That's my so my dad was always in business. My brother is too. So I think a little bit of that rubbed off on me. Um, dad was always actually both of them uh, their careers are in marketing so luckily i had a little bit of like a marketing bone oh that's cool. in, in in me which was which is cool um so that's yeah i'm real fortunate that stuff really comes kind of naturally to me 
just yeah uh the rest of it man yeah it's just been luckily growing slowly <laughs> that was really beneficial so that it wasn't just like wham figure it all out this year kind of thing is just yeah it's been really kind of slow um figuring out how to luckily my books are really simple a little bit in a little bit out um it's pretty basic i have now a um i've incorporated so i've got an accountant that does my year end and that sort of stuff and she's great because she knows all those different things she knows you know what i can write off or what um all those things that no most of us don't know wouldn't know to to um get back from the government kind of thing yeah was it weird um, for you to be the guy with an accountant was that weird for you or did you like yep i made it in life i have an accountant <laughs> no it never really felt like that it was more like fuck now i gotta pay someone else more money to do dude, this that's stuff. where i always get caught i'm like dude i'm not gonna fucking pay someone to cut my grass i'm not gonna pay someone to do my taxes like it's very but like that it's a weird spot to be in because you're like, but no, that's what successful people do is they have people <laughs> that do stuff. Well, I think that the one thing that I've realized probably way too late was um, to learn the value of my own time. Yeah. And so especially when, when I became full time and stuff and I started looking at shit like uh, one, one big thing was firewood. And so I thought, okay, if I do, I've, I've always got, got my own firewood. Um, for argument's sake, a cord of wood out here is like 250 bucks. Now, if I go and spend a whole Saturday at least in the forest, cutting down wood, loaded my truck, beat the crap out of my truck, beat the crap out of my body, bring it back, that's a whole day um, on top of, of that wear and tear. Okay, so if I spend that day working, you know, how much money am I going to make? And and so there's, I started thinking about that sort of stuff and balancing, like, um, you know, if, if someone charges less to do something than I charge per hour to make a knife kind of thing, then it's worth me letting them do it. Yeah. I mean, unless I get something out of it, like it, it's something I enjoy, like I'll chop the firewood for sure. Cause I like doing that's kind of meditative and, yeah. um, it's good workout, but, um, yeah, just, just kind of rationalizing things like that and um just really valuing your time especially if it's like extra time like weekend time where stuff that's maybe not you can't put a dollar figure on it like you know teaching the kid how to hit a ball off the tee a little bit better or you know whatever that kind of stuff yeah and you, that's one of those step back and big picture kind of things where you gotta you gotta take a it's a different it's just a different way of looking at things that i never thought about um the accountant thing was more so because that helps you not get audited <laughs> if, <it's counter. laughs> if you got an accountant doing your year. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to get a ton because I don't know enough about United States tax system versus Canada. But I am kind of curious how you feel. And actually, it might have been a dude who was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, and I forget his name. The, I, he might have been an Indian guy that was overweight. And then he lost a ton of weight and he's like a philosopher. He's definitely a college professor, but he wrote a book and all that income came to him and he owned his own business from like writing this book. And then like, I think he was Canadian. Um, they took like almost 70% and he was like, it hurt. I never noticed, like it never bothered me when I was getting paid by the university, how much I paid for my taxes. And I guess with like the healthcare, 
you guys have a shit ton of taxes that you have to pay maybe that we don't. Um, but he was like, when I made all that money and then I had to give so much of it back, I, I detested the government. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, that would mess with me too. Cause I don't like, like if I earned it, I don't want to give anything away. So I'm, I don't know yeah. if like, how do you rationalize that? Do you just drink a bunch when you have to cut checks for taxes? Uh, a little. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's a shitty time. I'm always, uh, so irritable around then like in whatever it is, the end of April or something like that, when that sort of time comes around, because when you're, I mean, when you're working a normal job or you're just getting a paycheck, they take that little chunk out every time. So you kind of barely notice it unless you're really paying attention. And then people at the end of the year do their taxes and they get a, oh, I got a tax return. And it, it's yeah. like they're, they're getting a prize. It's like, no, no, they, they just took too much from you. No <laughs> doubt. You let them there. borrow that money for a year and they didn't even pay interest. <laughs> yeah. And get this, because I make enough money, they insist that I pay in installments throughout the year. And if I don't, they charge me interest. Stop. It's on that because I don't give them their interest-free loan throughout the year. And instead of you know paying at the end of the year when everyone's taxes are due, if I don't pay ahead of time, I get charged interest. That's just based on past performance? Like how the fuck would they know if you're gonna have a down year or not? Yeah, that's what's funny is like, maybe you had a good year and then maybe, I don't know, a global pandemic hits and no one's buying knives and you have a <laughs> shitty year, then yeah, you can, it's, they just base it on what you made last year. And they're like, well, if you're going to make the same next year, then here's how much you owe us on this date, on this date. I think it's every two or three months you're, you owe an installment. Quarterly. I, I would imagine it'd be quarterly. Like businesses seem to run in quarters. Um, yeah. Dude, it's, it's terrible. a piss off though. Taxes are like, it's, we, we have a bracket system. So uh, the more you make, the more percentage you owe kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think it's, Mine's like 30% or something, which is just like, fuck, at the end of the year, you look at it and you're like, hey, you want, um, I don't know, for round figures, you want 15,000 of my dollars. Um, and why exactly? What What did you do to earn that? Like, how, why do I owe this to you? And I, it'd be different if I could like dictate where that money's going. Uh, if I could be cool. like, you know what? I'm going to put, let me put 2,000 into the police, let me put this much into healthcare, let me put this much into education, you know, that sort of thing. If you had a percentage that you could like donate to some like a single mom who's on assistance or something, or if you know one, you could be like, hey, here, I wrote this check to this single mom on assistance that I know or whatever. Like, How fucking cool would that be, man, to talk about like building a community and how much more efficient yeah. would that be if like the tax system was like, hey, citizens we're gonna let you use it for these purposes and you can discern that or you can give it to us and we'll have a bunch of middlemen who will suck it all up and then maybe out of the 15 grand that you gave us three grand gets back to someone somewhere yeah and i mean it's so corrupt obviously and don't get me started on trudeau but i mean so much of that just gets handed out to buddies and family and blah 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 so much of it just gets squandered away and no one ever sees it and then he hides under something called cabinet confidentiality which is ridiculous no we can't tell you that because it's a secret but um yeah it, it, it'd be an interesting experiment i've been thinking about this a little bit lately like i wonder what would happen there like if people actually 
I mean, people wouldn't just be like, I'm not giving any to the police. I'm putting all of my all my tax dollars directly into education or whatever. I, I think people would be more into splitting it up. And um, it'd be really I mean, for sure the politicians would make a lot less money. <laughs> Dude, no fucking doubt. And the thing that would be the coolest to me is you would actually see what your community and constituents value. Yeah. Like yeah, if, the fucking, if, if all of a sudden like teachers are getting paid like a motherfucker, you're like, yeah, I guess our people are really concerned with our kids getting a good education. Oh my God. Cops now are making, cops don't have to work a ton of overtime because they make a great base salary for risking their lives and coming somewhere at the drop of a dime. Who knew we valued that more than my buddy who's the secretary of energy. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah we exactly. kind of do value the people who show up to help us and deal with our kids way more than you who make meetings. I think it would be, I mean, if they set it up properly and it was like organized and easy to follow, you know, it, I think it would be interesting to see how many people actually looked into what tax dollars do, where that money goes. People get pissed off about getting stuck in construction, but Hey, that's your tax money going to improve that road kind of thing. And so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see it. Um, all the different things that your tax dollars go to that you maybe don't see. Um, and then, you know, all the things that your tax dollars go to that you don't want to go into as well. Yeah. I was, yeah, I've just been, that was an interesting thing I was thinking about. I wonder how you could like set up a dry run for that or like a run some sort of experiment to Dude, see what it would, would just, happen. It would just take like a town with like a local. So like you'd started at the localist level that you had the most control over. So like we pay property taxes um, to the county for us in Delaware. So like if the county were like, what do you want us to do? You want to add an extra shoulder? You want to hire some full-time firemen? You want to build a disaster center? What do you want to put up some cell phone towers? You want us to run some more internet to a rural area? What do you want? Hey, I man, mean, I guess that's what like representative government is supposed to do it is but we don't need the representative everything's so fucking technological man like yeah why can't you just hey sean you owe four grand cool sean here are your options for your four grand what do you want to yeah. put it towards and then like it would be a true at least you would think it would be a true market i guess the only thing i would be fucked up is like wow no one picked cops okay see you right. later boys you're done and then like everybody's like no way we need cops and we're fucked right but like, so that would be the only flaw is you would need like a, a fail, like a, 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 sa- a weird safety net of like, yeah, we've got some that we have to have. Like we, we well, that's what I mean. Like that's must-haves. why you, that, that's like why you need to like run the experiment because there's probably all kinds of stuff that, I mean, like sanitation people wouldn't be like, Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. I got to throw a bunch of money at sanitation so that my sewer still works. You know, no that doubt. sort of, I bet there's a lot of little things that people wouldn't. Yeah. Like, who cares about landfills? Ones. Just burn that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There'd be, there's, there's the big ones like the cops and the education and those kinds of things. But I bet there's a bunch of stuff where money needs to go that. So, I mean, maybe there's people who are like, ah, whatever, put it, put my money towards whatever you've been doing. Like maybe, yeah, they don't. maybe people don't want to think about it. And you're just yeah. like the general button. Yeah. Could we start? So could we start our own commune? You mean, yep. I mean, you're good with knives. What would I be able to offer? Well, I, you'd be the teacher. 
I, nah, uh, for the kids? Yeah, they're if they you can be responsible for the entire home. next generation <laughs> of everyone who wants to move there to our little plot of land. <laughs> I've been wishing actually that uh, it, I, I, when they were talking about like mandatory vaccinations in school and shit like that, and a bunch of people pulled their kids out, especially they forced our kids to wear masks here for a long time, which is horseshit. Yeah. But um, I was thinking like somebody could start, there's lots of like homeschooling going around. There's good programs, I guess that you can get online that, that aren't too expensive just so that, you know, you make sure you don't completely fuck your kid up, but it would be good if someone just did like a, like a small community sort of homeschool where they just, um, someone actually proposed to me the other day that like, we could just like trade off. If you get like six or seven parents and you trade off one week here, one week there, you only have to teach for a week. And then, you know, your kids go to school with all these other kids. So they're going to school with a group of kids. So they don't turn out like social weirdos, Yeah. but they, but it's still like a, a much smaller community sort of thing. There's a lot more control over that sort of thing. A little like-mindedness. And then like people like you, yeah. man, like why, like, see, th we were talking to something similar today. So there are certain states, like you want your kid to be able to read, right? You want your kid to be able to articulate and write something. But yep. why do I have to do that? Why do I have to make a kid do that for 188 days? Every kid has to do that for 188 days. What if you're really good at writing and you pick up the fucking pattern day three? I don't want to waste your time. So like today we were talking about how cool would it be for kids if, hey man, you need to have this standard. When you've met the standard, go explore an interest. Now, if you can't meet the standard, that's why I'm here to help you. Right, so do a lesson. Who picked it up? Cool, go explore standard. Now, hey, I still don't get it. All right, let's fine tune it, come on back. And like, let's make sure you get that foundational skill. And we were talking about how that would help behaviors with kids who like hate reading class. Well, we gotta make sure you can read, man. I know you hate reading, gotta make sure you can read. Oh, wow, you can read, cool. Now you wanna go hoop? Go work on your hoops. And then there were like college coaches or like ex-players who actually wanted to teach kids who are interested in basketball about basketball. And like, that's what your homeschool idea could be. Why, why can't you take kids for a week? I would love it if my kid had the opportunity to learn from someone like you to fucking make a knife from scratch. Like mm -hmm. that'd be amazing. And who knows if she'd be into it or not. She's never going to fucking see it in school. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, but here it's like, Oh my God, I love playing with fire. And you're like, <laughs> I love manipulating this. I love the marketing that goes into this. And this is how you do your Instagram posts? Oh my God, how'd you come up with that idea? Oh, that's interesting to you. Let's let you explore it. And like, there needs to be more of that balance, man. And I think people like you with the homeschool idea, like, I feel like that's out there. Like a rigid system is not what people want. They want a la carte. <laughs> mm. uh, it's it, even just like, I never learned in school that you could like, that you could just start a business and yeah. start charging people money for something and then make that your career. I don't remember ever that ever being like a, an option, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was never like, Oh, I want to run my own business, do my own thing out of my shop in my backyard. That was, <laughs> I was never in the drop down list, you know, yeah. it, it's, but I think that like that, that homeschool sort of thing, or, you know, that, where you, where you can put dedicate that kind of time to the kid that's having trouble with something. Um, I think that that only works in smaller groups. Now you got the 30 to 40 kids in a class kind of thing. And it's so 
there's only so many hours that they're at that school where that teacher, that one teacher can devote to, Hey, how many kids aren't quite getting it? You know, it's, it's, I think it works better in smaller groups. Like so many other things do like we're talking about commune. (laughs) Yeah. Everything, everything works in a small group. If we all lived in tiny groups, we wouldn't need police. That's just police yourself. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. I'll can. when did your business actually become a business? I know you said you were like, you became incorporated. When did you know, like, oh my God, I can actually make knives for a living. Cause I feel like that's what kills a lot of people, right? Like when do you take the, Hey, I'm kind of good at this versus like, I'm all in. And it's a lot of the going, the going full time kind of. Yeah. man. like it has to be a ton of bravado. Like it would fuck with me. My anxiety, I think would, I, it, my inner bitch would come out and I'd be like, nah, just not good enough yet. <laughs> Keep my day job. What I would say is if you're having trouble getting too much sleep, then quit your daily paycheck job when you've got a toddler at home and you're the only source of income and then pursue your craft, your little hobby that you do in your drafty woodshed in your backyard. That'll solve your too much sleep problem right away. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it, no, there was a lot of, I did it for four years, evenings and weekends, just um, as a hobby for a solid four years before um, I took the leap. And so at the time I was working about an hour and 15 minutes away, I was uh, timber framing. So traditional joinery, building these cabins and homes and cool stuff. Loved it. Loved all the whole the whole part of it. But it was an hour and 15 minutes away. And we had a kid at home who was like, I don't know, eight, six or eight months at the time. She wasn't working. So I was the only source of income. Um, but she was basically a single mom. I'd be out of the house by 6.15 or something every day. And by the time I got home, it would be, you know, 5.30. And then a lot of the time I'd be straight out to the shed till seven trying to get a, a couple hours of making knives in and i never saw the kid during the week and on the weekends he started looking at me like a stranger like it was it wasn't good so um that played into it a lot but on the other hand it was like am i gonna be that asshole who quit his good job making money supporting his family to mm. pursue some silly hobby that he does in his woodshed in the back you know so man yeah it was it didn't just happen. I didn't just like, Oh, I'm going to be a full-time knife maker now quit my job kind of thing. There was a lot that went into it. Um, I actually hurt my back on the job and I got 30 days off. The timing couldn't have been better. It was ridiculous how this worked out. So I had 30 days on EI. So I had like, you know, 80% of my paycheck covered. Um, I had a little bit of a top up because I also had like a private insurance. And then at the end of that month, I happened to have the first trade show for knives coming up that, um, that I needed to, you know, produce a whole bunch of knives for. It was happened to be right at the end of that 30 days. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll spend this 30 days making as many knives as I can. That'll give me an idea of how many knives I can produce if it's not just evenings and weekends. And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll see what happens. And then, so I spent, I basically treated that month. Like I was a full-time knife maker dry run because I was getting paid too. And, um, at the end of it, I took, I had a shitload of knives, took them all to this trade show, 
sold a few of them, sold a bunch of them online. And at the end of the day, by the time I sold all those knives that I'd made, or if I had sold all those knives that I'd made in that 30 days, I would have made more money than working timber framing. Plus I didn't have to commute. Plus I didn't have to, there was lots of times when we go do a setup and actually build the thing that we've been working on in the shop. I'd have to be away for a week at a time just gone staying on site kind of thing so you're gone for the whole week which is a lot to put on the wife raising a kid so um you know there was no more of that and my schedule was free and clear and it was just like shit like it's if i can keep this up if the market stays good if i keep making knives that people like um i can actually make a go of this and then the biggest thing like i say i was back and forth back and forth about this a lot of sleepless nights didn't want to make the wrong move but the biggest thing that that made me uh, want to take the jump and try it was I didn't want to look back in five years and still be thinking, oh, I wonder if I should try it sort of thing. Right? I didn't want to. I'd rather try it and fail and be able to say like, oh, fuck, well, I gave it a shot, you know, yeah. than, um, than never try it and regret it. So, so I went for it. Luckily, I had a lot of support um, from, you know, the custom, all my client, my customers, um, loved it they were super stoked wife was into it she was backing me so that was huge so um yeah and it, it's been working out so far <laughs> yeah, dude that was andrew yang's um whole premise for universal basic income like, yeah that's great yeah. like hey man it's socialist everyone's going to be lazy he's like or people will be freed up to be creative and pursue passions and who knows the innovation that'll occur when you can figure out like what do we want to believe people are pieces of shit and just fine with being sedentary or people have this innate desire to create to build like look what do we fucking do all the time we we build we make tools to build shit it's just what humans really enjoy doing and like what you described is a perfect example of how that would work like imagine if everybody just got like a What's your hobby? Take a month, figure out if you want to do that for a living once a year. Well, that's kind of, that's exactly what I was hoping would happen with COVID. Yeah, when everyone exactly. started getting checks from the government. That's exactly what I was thinking was maybe Pete, this is that break that I got that, you know, maybe more people will take advantage yeah. of it. Well, in America, know, our they, checks were shit, dude. I think for fucking Panda, I, I got $2,100 total and then I got taxed on that shit. Like I'd fucking pay it back. And I'm like, are you like, that's income during COVID? I, what, are you kidding me? And I didn't lose my job. So like, it wasn't a big deal, but waiters, restaurant people who like shut down small business owners, like they got to pay that yep. shit back. But so I, did you guys get a ton of money in Canada? I think there were some $1,200 checks floating around. I never got anything. There was one thing that I probably should have tried to take advantage of, but I didn't want, fuck, I didn't, I didn't want anything from the government or any of it, but there was like a businesses could get like a $40,000 loan and you only had to pay back 30 of it or something uh, like that, okay. which, um, which would have been an easy one to take advantage of. But I didn't, yeah, like I said, I didn't want to fucking even bother. Um, yeah, but see, I, I think that there was some $1,200 checks for a while, yeah, but I'm not, not enough, sure. How long it like a one-time check isn't enough. Like it has to be part of the People crave that consistency. Dude, you had a kid, you got a wife, that's keeping you up. Like what you're looking for is, I know I got this month. January is, can your hobby be a business month in Canada? <laughs> and like everybody, <laughs> right? And like different industries. Oh, now the chicken plant 
closes in March because all of them, they get to go take their month off, you know, or however you want to organize it. But like, I know it's coming and I know the government's going to match whatever my current income is. So my lifestyle will not change. And then I, if I am a flop, if I am a failure, if the market dictates, I'm not good enough. Cool. I go back to my job and it holds like a sabbatical almost like that would be some really cool shit. It'd be awesome to see what humans or what people could just produce and think of create during that time. Yeah. I don't think that the government has any interest in letting us do that though. <laughs> nah, dude, yeah. Cause yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get into conspiracies, but like, yeah, I could see them not caring cause they want you to keep churning outside. They can, whatever, take their trips. Can you help me understand? Cause I know nothing about what makes you special as a knife maker. Like, why are you I mean, good? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping that wouldn't come up. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I know it can be hard to like honestly, brag on yourself. I don't mean to put you in that weird spot, but I no, just, I'm no, so it's ignorant. not even, it's not even like that. It's a, I really, yeah, it's, um, I think that I have a, an eye for aesthetic when it comes to the lines of a knife profile, uh, ergonomics of a handle, uh, a usable shape, but mostly that it just being appealing to the eye. Um, that I think is, is because I mean, there's, <laughs> there's lots of guys that I, lots of people making knives i follow you know of course lots online and i'll see some of them and just like man i wouldn't have put that there <laughs> you know? it's just um yeah just having that sort of a, that sort of a an eye for for what uh is aesthetically appealing i think that's big especially in in the market where there's so many so many guys making knives and um online um social media marketing is so huge that you have to, your product has to have that like instant, um, it has to be able to grab people. Like you scrolling through picture after picture after picture of these things. One's got to be like, Oh, that like hits me all the right ways, you know? So that sort of thing. Um, and just having the attention to detail to not overlook those little things that when someone spends a bunch of money on something, they're going to get it in their hand. The first thing, especially something the size of a knife, first thing they're going to do is look over every little tiny piece of it. And if, if there's a defect in it that I can see, then I'm just going to assume that they're going to find it and be instantly pissed off. Yeah. Fuck, look at that scratch. Like I spent all this money and it's got this little scratch in it. I haven't even used it yet kind of thing. So I have to, uh, I do my best to be really meticulous about those kinds of things. Um, and then just being, trying to be uh, flexible. <clears throat> like I'm, I'm making kitchen knives and hunting knives and this and that. Um, the bush fucker thing has always been a really big, uh, <laughs> big crowd pleaser for me. And, um, What's a bush and then I've, fucker? Oh, we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> um, and then just, so the price of my knives went up a little bit because of, you know, my quality has gone up and my materials, especially, um, started getting more and more premium materials. So the price started getting out of, I think a lot of people's price range for something that they're looking as, you know, for a, like a tool, like a utility, right. something they're not worried about using. And so I came up with this 
lower priced line where I outsource a little bit of the production, um, get a lot of the time out of my own hands, and but I still do all the finishing. Um, it's still excellent materials, and it ends up coming in at a lower price point for a, an excellent tool. That's um, yeah. The only thing that's different about it is I get the blades water jet cut out for me, like a CNC machine cuts it out, sort of thing. And so just just to kind of like get the price down a little bit. So that kind of line, just just trying to do those sorts of things. Where Dude, that's I'm, so you know, smart, man. I'm yeah, sorry just to trying cut to hit off, as many. Man. Yeah, so that I think that that kind of I see a lot of guys getting really stuck in their rut and it's something that they do really really well. And there's nothing wrong with that the more you do that thing you do well, the better you're going to keep doing it. But I feel like they're just, just really narrow. It's kind of tunnel vision. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to trying to be a little more broad about my sort of approach. The bush fucker is, <laughs> it's kind of the bastard love child between a machete and an ax. So okay. the story behind this thing was um, my buddy had a big, chunk of property that had been clear cut years ago and it's all kind of overgrown now and all the trails were overgrown so we were going and clearing them out we had machetes which are nice because they have a long blade but they're really thin and flimsy and kind of no good for going through anything thicker than your thumb and then we got axes which are great because they're heavy and they can go through a few branches at once but the blade on them is only like three inches and so I thought, well, there's got to be, it's got to be a kind of a marriage of these two. So I did some research. I found some like really old kind of um, like homesteading style tools from like way back in the 1800s and borrowed a couple of designs from some of those and tweaked them a little bit. Came up with this, this tool that um, it's got a seven inch long blade and then kind of an ax style handle to it. And it's 21 inches overall. And it's built out of quarter inch thick steel and it's full tan, like the whole thing's quarter inch thick steel. So it's heavy and it's got that long blade and it's kind of a hooked blade as well. So it catches branches. They don't just kind of slip through. And boy, that thing worked so good. Like it was just hacking through everything. Alders you can chop, like I've chopped through six, seven inch birch trees that are down over a trail. Like it'll chop through just like an ax or it'll, it'll, you know, limb fallen trees, no problem. It, it hacks through all that stuff works so good. So, um, I was, <laughs> that's, that's kind of where the marketing thing comes in. I was so, I wanted to call it uh, the bushwhacker, which seemed like, well, there's probably a thousand things called bushwhacker and that's not really appropriate for this thing. This thing doesn't just whack the bush. This thing <laughs> fucks it right up. So <laughs> I was like, do I really name a tool of the swear word? And I thought, you know what? If it's going to be badass. If I'm going to, if you're going to own a company, <laughs> you got to be able to do weird shit like this. And so I was like, no, nope, it's the bush fucker. And that was the biggest marketing decision. Like everyone was like, that's the best name for anything ever. <laughs> so the bush fucker became super popular. I make a smaller version too, that is more packable. I had a buddy who was building bike trails and he wanted to be able to uh, fit it in his backpack. Okay. The big ones, the big one's pretty heavy. It's, one and a half kilograms, which I don't know what that is in pounds. It's quite heavy for, you know, hiking around all day. So the smaller one fits in a backpack. It's a little bit less unwieldy um, for carrying around all day. And uh, it even uh, <laughs> it even went into a, the kitchen. My buddy, I gave it, him one of them. And um, he was super excited. He's like, this thing's awesome. Uses it for his trap line and, and all kinds of stuff like that. I want one for the kitchen. And so as a joke, 
built a, like a kitchen version of it <laughs> without the hooked blade. Basically, it kind of like backed into a cleaver design. Yeah, I was when it was say. done, I, I didn't even like really realize. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is basically a cleaver. But uh, it worked super good. He got one of those logs of um, like frozen ground beef, like, you know, like a three pound frozen logs yeah. and just chopped straight through it. No problem. It worked super good. <laughs> He's breaking down chickens in like a minute and a half kind of thing. Like, it's awesome. So that was a joke and it turned out to be pretty popular. People have been ordering those too. Dude, that's, I, yeah, man. I, I really like how creative and open you are to markets. Like whatever the dinnertime conversations were, really impacted you growing up, man. Cause you're just so like, even like just the lower and down to keep a price point down to keep that market there. I'm thinking like franchise E, right? Like basically you've created a mm -hmm. franchise where you've outsourced something. So you get a quality, it's just not custom quality and you exploring different markets and being like, Hey man, that, that could work. Like just so I guess, open minded. And I guess my, my brain just kind of works that way where I was just, I, don't, I never thought about it like like that or it, it never came up in, in my head as like a businessy marketing sort of well it's pragmatic way it just like yeah it's it was almost just like, like shit, I'm, I'm missing this market now how am i gonna like build knives that are cheaper and still you know keep up with my other stuff and have time and um yeah it just it just sort of all totally comes up organically really yeah and so you what makes the bush fucker so good? Is it actually the design? Is it just keeping the blade sharp? I know you had said something about like the curve so you can catch stuff as you're going down, which is the issue with like a machete or whatever. Like it's nice that it um, captures, <laughs> but I'm like, is it the way that the blade gets actually angled and made? Is it something about the, the material that it's made from? Is it the engineering of it? Yeah, so it's the hook helps for sure because like a, like you're saying it catches things instead of like on a sloped blade like a regular, you know, most knives that have that sort of belly and the slope things just slip off of them, right. which is actually how they're they're designed for skinning originally. But um yeah, so having that hooked shape helps grab things and and keep them in. The the bevel, the grind on it is similar to an axe. It's not really it's not really um acute like a fine tool would be like a chef knife or something like that would be really fine uh, for slicing. It's more because it's an impact tool. It's more of a broad kind of grind like an, like an ax would be. So it's durable in that way. The steel is really good. I heat treat it myself. It's um, and so it's, it's hardened. So it holds an edge, but uh, I temper it a little bit to a, like a lower hardness. I don't want to, We'll get you know the technical weeds too much but it's it's not uh as hard and brittle say as like a chef knife would be because you're swinging it at stuff you don't want it to chip um right. if you hit a rock or whatever so it's got like a or an appropriate heat treat has gone into the steel um it, and the weight is the biggest thing people as soon as they hold one they pick it up and they go oh okay yeah i get it like it's it's heavy it's front loaded meaning the blade is is heavier like the balance point is out in the blade it's heavier than the handle so it's got that momentum when you're swinging it yeah and six. it just it's got a ton of inertia that go that just drives that that hooked blade through whatever's in front of it 
and make has, sure it's not your leg. I was about to say, has anyone sent you a video be like, you fucked me? <laughs> like tried to see I've you. Had, I've heard of some close crazy. calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of some like just missing kneecaps and stuff like, Eesh. don't do that, please. Yeah, no doubt. No, no liability. How, how did you come up with the, and you don't have to get super technical, but I guess this would be the other side. So if you're, so me in my head, not having a business, if you're running a business, there's like the logistics of it, which to me seem like the worst, the fucking accounting, the shipping, the keeping books, the Excel spreadsheet, and then the, hey, how long do I heat up blank? Like I'm thinking of almost like cooking and recipes of like, how do I create this product that's repeatable? So did you right. just, is that YouTube? Did you actually, like, do you have formal training on how to manipulate and make steel more durable, less durable, breakable, finer, sharper? Like, I don't even know the words to ask. Um, it was, it's funny. I actually did have a little bit of schooling in this in post-secondary. I did some um, CNC machining and they did actually teach me about heat treating. But I, it actually didn't occur to me until like years into making knives of like, oh, yeah, I did actually learn about a little <laughs> bit of this in school, which is funny. But I guess it, it didn't really, really stuck with me. But because um, they, they, they're, you know, they're trying to teach me like you can make steel harder. And in my head, I'm like, what are you talking about? Steel is steel is hard. What do you mean harder? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Right. But um, no, it's that's the fun part about being um like a small business owner is you wear so many hats between like the businessing stuff, the, the all that business back end you're talking about, the marketing stuff, the design, especially with being a knife maker. Okay, now you have to be into woodwork. You have to be able to build a lot of your own tooling. You got, you know, jigs and things like that. You have to be an amateur metaller just because, yeah, you do need to know what to do to what type of steel to make it appropriate to hold an edge but not snap if you know it hits a chip if you hit a bone or whatever it there's a lot to it and i'm lucky that again i, I came up really slowly grew really slowly and so i was able to learn all this stuff on the fly and youtube has been huge for that of course there's lots of books um really technical manuals that will put you to sleep that you can read about all this metallurgy stuff like knowing how much carbon needs to be in mixed in with that iron to make what kind of steel and what to do to it. Like you're saying, what temperature to bring it to for how long there's technical words in there, Martin site and all this stuff that just, I don't know what most of them mean. Honestly, I just know that if I heat <laughs> this type of steel until it's this color and then I quench it, cool it down really fast in this specific medium and then put it in the oven for this long at this temperature kind of thing. Um, Basically, I know enough to have done what I've already done, and even then, just barely. <laughs> I know it's enough. like it's yeah, it's it's just scratching the surface. Like it's it's an incredible journey because it's it's so broad-reaching. Like I'm saying, like from the back end bookkeeping all the way to how do I market this knife? How do I what angle should I sharpen a bush knife to versus a kitchen knife that all that sort of thing and everything in between. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, it, they, you can't, there's no high school course for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like you could go either way. You could go. And I like what you're saying about like the slow build of, 
trial and error to experiment and just notice. And it seems like you're more artsy and feel versus scientific, like exact. And I don't want to insult you. And I really don't. No, no, it's there's there's parts of it where you can be a little loose, like um, like just with the shaping of a handle. Like making, I like to make mine really ergonomic, so it's really comfortable to hold on to for a long time. And then there's other stuff that you can do to it to make it kind of, to just get fun with it. There's weird shapes that you can do that end up having like an um, uh, an effect that you didn't, an unexpected kind of benefit that you didn't see coming. So being able to be loose and creative in that sense is great. But on the other hand, um, the the heat treating stuff's got to be pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. When you had said you drop it into a specific, like different types of medium, you don't just put it into cold water. Do you actually do stuff to the water when you take the steel out of the fire? So there's there's different types of steel that can be um, what's called quenched, um, which is where you take it from that hot, hot down to basically room temperature in about a second. And so some steels can quench in water. Water is really aggressive. Like we're talking... 1875 Fahrenheit glowing orange basically to black room temperature um, doing that in water is like really aggressive and so it happens super fast and and it's harsh and so you get a lot more cracking and warpage um, with blades and that um, there's a lot more oils that or sorry a lot more steels that are specifically designed to be quenched in oil so you got the big buckets of oil and there's all kinds of different oils you can get and some some steels the oil has to be a little bit warm at a certain temperature it can't be really cold you know to get the most out of it so you can quench in oil which is a much more gentle way to draw that heat out of the steel so it's not such a bam is you're it cold like an, now <laughs> is it like an energy thing i'm trying to think of like particles and i'm trying to go back to seventh grade science and being like so all that energy gets out of that steel and if why is oil better is it like denser because if stuff goes in oil compared to water it'll like sink slower right so that means it's denser yeah i think it's a density thing there's also um like as soon as you put it into water it creates this steam pocket right around the water around the steel too which is it's, it's just a really and even if it does it in oil too, so you can't just go in and hold it there. You have to go in and actually move it around so you get a, a more consistent kind of cooling around the blade. It's pretty incredible what happens inside of a, a forge, inside of a, inside of a fire, what happens to steel. It heats up to the point where it's no longer magnetic, which just blew my mind right off the bat. And that's actually how you can help gauge what temperature your steel is you can test it with a magnet see if it still sticks so what's happening is the the molecules in the steel start moving so fast that it no longer produces no longer has a magnetic field um and it's you're basically exciting those molecules to the point where they're just like in in a very rigid uh, and kind of cubicle structure. And then when you quench it, it freezes them all in that particular orientation. Yeah, wherever they're at, right? It's just yeah. like, boom, that shocks and the then, system. And so then basically that just makes it, oh, it's so hard to actually put into, <laughs> into language. This is why there's giant technical manuals that explain these things in big, long words. Right. But it just, uh, it, it makes the steel super hard. 
And so that those bonds are super strong in, in basically in a square rigid form like that. There's other stuff that you do to it before you do the, the, the heat up and the quench. You do things that are called thermal cycles, which help take some stresses out of the steel, realign all the molecules in this, that structure into like a nice square, even grid, um, because that's where the molecule bonds are the strongest. And so that makes it, that makes the, the, the steel really difficult to sharpen because it's difficult to shear those bonds apart basically oh, dude, um, I even think about that yeah that's but at this but at the same time it's really brittle so it's kind of like glass like glass is super super hard but if you try and bend it it'll snap right so so that's those rigid um bonds basically just releasing on themselves and so that's basically when you come out of the out of the quench your steel is if you do everything right, it's near as hard as that particular steel can get. And your hardness and your brittleness are relative. And then your uh, toughness is at the other end. So <laughs> fuck, I'm explaining this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that, nobody will know. So there, dude, there's like 0.4% of the population in the world that'll be able to like call you out on shit though, right? <laughs> like, I, I you're, guess. You're an elitist. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many videos online on YouTube and stuff that explain this so much better, but it, it comes out of the quench. The steel is super hard, but it's brittle. And so it'll hold an edge really good, but it'll be impossible to resharpen and it'll chip if it takes any kind of abuse. So then what you do is you put it into an oven and at a particular temperature, you can actually bring that hardness down. And as the hardness comes down, your toughness comes up. So it becomes less brittle. And so you can temper at specific temperatures uh, appropriate to the use of that particular blade. So if it's going to be a chef knife, you can leave it a little bit harder so it can hold an edge longer because you're probably not going to be swinging at that, swinging it at a tree to chop it down. Yeah. So it doesn't have to worry about taking that kind of abuse. And when you go to sharpen that, you're probably going to be in a pretty controlled setting with a nice setup and you can sharpen it. And it's not going to matter if it's a little bit harder. Whereas with a bush knife or an ax, you'll bring that hardness down a little bit more and your toughness comes up. So it's not going to chip if you're swinging it at, um, at, a, at a log or whatever. You happen to nick a rock or something like that. And when you go to sharpen it, you're in the field with a stone or something like that. You just you really just want to put, or if you're skinning an animal, say, you want that knife to stay sharp, especially you're going through um, you're going through hair and whatever. But if you hit a bone, you don't want that knife to chip. So you want that toughness to be up. And then if you have to go and sharpen it, you want that to be real quick and get back to work again. So you don't want it to be super duper hard and impossible to sharpen just with a stone in the forest. You want that thing to just hone up real quick and go back to work again. So there's, it's really handy to be able to dictate that balance of hardness and toughness depending on your application. How's that? <laughs> no, dude, well, it's because again, I'm, I'm so simple and I guess I identify as metrosexual. <laughs> Like I had, I had not, not like considered, holy shit. Yeah. You want your knife to not break, but you could make it so hard that it'd be a pain in the ass to sharpen it. Cause if it's so hard that it won't break, how do you actually make it pointy when it becomes dull? And that seems so simple to overlook when you don't think about it. But I think that's a great point is finding that balance of functionality in different environments. Like that's, to, yeah. to me, these like are all those really cool. These are all those things that like, back to that shitty knife that I bought at that night market with my buddy, Jeff, 
I had no idea about any of this stuff. And so it's been whatever, eight or nine years or something where I've been slowly learning all these things and I still learn all kinds of stuff. And like I say, I'm just scratching the surface with that metallurgy. Um, like I say, I, I know just enough to do what I've done and even then just barely. Yeah, I was curious about getting temperature that high or getting steel that hot because I've done some basic science experiments where like water boils and you don't really get it above boiling right? Like it only holds so much heat and that's why the steam goes off. And then I'm like, well, then heat only has to be so hot. But then I've seen videos of like in Pittsburgh, you make steel and you fucking melt steel. And then, you know, there's lava, which is a rock. And that's really weird because how does a rock get so hot that all of a sudden it moves like it's a liquid. And I'm like, I don't get, do you just have like a really intense flamethrower? Do you have to burn a particular type of like jet fuel or something to get that kind of heat in there or am i just being stupid and it's like nah dude you just leave it on the stove for so long <laughs> you can um i mean you can get steel hot enough to manipulate with a campfire you know if that campfire really? is hot hot enough you know if you can yeah i mean you always like when you're sitting around maybe you had like a wiener roasting stick and you're poking it in the coals and eventually it gets like red hot kind of thing that's red hot is almost hot enough to actually forge that steel um so to get that hotter to get that fire hotter you just blow air into it and so a common way to to run a forge or you know definitely historically the most popular was with coal um, charcoal works too it's not as efficient but you can make a coal fire which will you know, in, in a, say, like a coal barbecue sort of thing, it's it's just, it's heat, it's warm, it's enough to cook a steak. But if you actually took like a hairdryer and pointed it into those coals, it'll get hot and hot and hot. And eventually it'll get really goddamn hot. And that's where you can put steel in it and sit it in there. It'll get orange and you can pound it out um, and it, it'll get to that non-magnetic critical temperature. Um, or the more efficient way now and the way that I'd use is uh, a propane forge. And so it's just literally a barbecue tank of propane funneled into these through these special burners into this um, insulated box. And that's my forge and it's just and it burns and you can add a compressor to that, too, if you really want to get get wild and make shit really hot. Like you can get to the point you can get steel to the point where it's so hot that when you hammer it together, it becomes one piece of steel. It's called forge welding. Yeah, I was about to. So that's and that's where you get into like San Mai and Damascus and stuff like that, where you pound together layers and layers of different types of steel, and eventually you etch it in an acid, and one of them resists the acid, and the other one darkens and brings out that contrast. And um, but yeah, you can you can get steel super. You can also get steel too hot, so it gets into like yellow, white, like really really hot. Then you start losing some of that structural. Um, some of the structure in, in the steel carbon starts sparking out of it and you don't want that. Yeah. I was wondering, does it actually ever melt on you? Like, do you open it up? Do you get distracted and you're like, Oh fuck. And then there's just a hole <laughs> where the knife used to be. <laughs> no, I, you can, I mean, if it's really thin, you can burn. Like if you, if I'm trying to heat treat a blade that I've ground the bevel too thin, you got to leave a little bit of meat on that edge when you're heat treating. Cause if it's like down to like zero, if it's right sharp, that edge will actually burn off. But um, no, the 
you you have you can set the psi on the it's got like a regulator kind of like a barbecue regulator so you can set how much pressure is coming out of the propane tank so it'll only get to basically a particular temperature so it'll never actually get up to molten gotcha. <laughs> you need a refract you need a refractory for that gotcha that makes sense yeah man it's that's just so i don't know man like you look at I'm looking at a lamp right now and I'm like, that shit, I don't know if it's made of steel, but you look at metal and you just think of somebody manipulated that. Like they heated it up and it seems very simple concepts, but it's also so complex when you get into the science of like, what the fuck's happening. And I never thought about like, you can make molecules move so fast that you lose a magnetic attraction. Like that's mind blowing to try to just wrap your head around how that happens <laughs> yeah that's one of those moments like, in in this that I've just made me go like holy that's that's neat you know that's right. like that's tangible you know you can actually show someone like here's a big magnet I got one sitting beside my forge where you can test and you pull it out and it's like that ain't sticking to that steel anymore it's it's weird <laughs> it's yeah. like that shouldn't happen Nah, man. It, yeah, it goes against, it would be like the sun, I don't know, rising in the West. You're just like, that's, right, that goes yeah. against the properties of law. That is, uh, that's not I right. remember one time in, in my CNC class, I had another, uh, this awesome old teacher and uh, he both, he both looked and acted just like George Carlin. He was awesome. And so, but I remember this one mind blowing moment where he had these, these little blocks that are precision ground and they're used for measurement and you can if you put them together if you just like stack one on top of the other then one falls off just like you'd think it would but if you start it at the edge and slide it onto the other one really slowly and pressing them together you're actually like squeezing the air out hmm. and then they stick together because they're so they're ground like mirror polished like so precision that that they're it's they're so smooth that air can't get between them when you press them together oh. like that and then they stick together it's like it's a vacuum yeah it's a seal because the air blocks. on the outside is like actually pushing it in because there's no air on the inside to push out yeah like you you squeeze that air out of between the two of them yeah. and then it's just vacuumed together and i was like you're a magician like what how did you just wizard <laughs> you know, what kind of sorcery is this <laughs> Yeah, that's, man, see, that's the type of shit going back to schools. It's like fucking kids don't want an iPad where they're like moving their finger and like making a knife sharper. Like they want to fucking bang. They want to yeah. see and then they want to ponder like, no. It's like, yeah, dude, see if you can make it. Like here's some plastic. Can you make plastic do that as well? I don't know, man. Like start fucking sanding. See what happens. You know, experimentation, and like, yeah. Yeah. And just like, but experimentation, like purposeful experimentation, not just yeah. like fucking around without, no, man, we got a goal. Our goal is to make two things not come apart. Here's how right, I did yeah. it with this new material. You add a little wrinkle, see what you got. And then you reflect Those, afterwards and then you apply it to another part. Like to me, that's what should be happening. And those mind-blowing moments like that, I'll never forget him sticking those two pieces of metal together, which were not magnetic, and then holding it up and then being stuck together and just like those mind-blowing things, like they resonate with kids and that's what sticks with you. And that's like, yeah. I want to learn more about how that happened. Yeah, no shit. And it's different, dude. Like some kids will be into like 
their mind-blowing moment will be Edgar Allan Poe's word choice in The Raven yeah. and alliteration. And they're like, oh my God, you put words together like that? What? Yeah. And like, that's it. Or it could be a beat in music, you know? Like, it it can be anything. But that's, I don't know, man. I it's the end of the school year for us and uh, the teachers. We reflect a lot about like what we think ideal school would be. And when you brought up your commune that you're going to build, how do people apply for entry into your commune? They don't have to be vaxxed, right? That's what you said. No vax, and you're allowed. Yeah, no. There's no mandates. No, <laughs> just, just show up and be useful and be cool. Sure, have have some sort of fucking skill. But yeah, man, like we sit around and we're like, what would, if we had to change the year, what would make the year better? You know, and you just start talking shop. And part of it, it's like, it's a shame decision makers aren't around and don't ask for like those kind of talks, at least not in the schools that I'm used to, that I've been involved in professionally. And it's like, what a fucking waste, man. Like, how come we can't get a little more radical and thoughtful about shit we're doing, man? And I know why, because yeah, they don't want to lose their good jobs, <laughs> their high paying jobs. Because the more you change, the more risk and responsibility you take on. And then blame comes with that. Yeah. And it's, it's too, and you've got, you know, you're, you got all your parents who are expecting these grades and you got to, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> yeah. The ranking thing's so fucking weird, man. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I feel like I've been shitting on schools a little bit. Well, I guess we can. We collectively have been. What's our what's our shit psi that we've been fanning on schools? Because we both seem so like. <laughs> is that a thing? We just both seem so anti like establishment for the school. I wonder if my mom will hear this because she's a retired teacher as well, so it could be in some trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not like on the teachers, man. I really wonder if it's like the system in itself, if that's what's best. Cause the whole adage is schools were made to make people functional for factories. Like you wanted a right. factory worker who can make a standard, who can meet a standard and work a shift. And you're like, and it's never been upgraded, updated since yeah, then. Really, It's like a combustible engine, man. You're like, fucking, we need an Elon Musk of schools to come along and be like, yo, we can make this thing electric. We can have zero to 60 in 1.9 right. seconds. We're not limited by like your basic thoughts of, I don't know, whatever the limits of are of a combustible engine, you know, where you have to have so much horsepower and you kill the product afterwards. Like, no, we can redo this. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's a battleship and it takes a lot to turn a battleship. So it's, I mean, it's so huge. Right. And like you're saying, everyone's got their careers to worry about, so they don't want to rock that boat. And I mean, there's, you've got term limits, so nobody wants to do anything that's going to take longer than their term because then the next guy gets to claim yeah. that they did it, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of bureaucracy that, that runs in, uh, in the face of kind of that, um, the, what you're talking about, that progression sort of that you're, yeah, that you're ideas, saying, yeah. man, which is what entrepreneurs like you and you're like, Hey man, I think this might be cool. I think there might be a market for this. Like that's what I wish was more in schools was the ability to take risks and let results come. Cause if I'm sure if you make something and it doesn't sell, you're like, well, fuck man, that was, that was a waste. What can I take from it? That'll help me on the next thing, but then I'm going to stop it. 
Where, yeah, but fortunately, it's not some kid's future that I fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's it right there. But, like, there's enough kids that aren't doing well enough that you're like, hey, man, we can make you. Like, you don't want to call them, like, experimental. Like, hey, kid, we're going to put you in an experimental program. But at the same time, it's like, yo, we got four years of data. School ain't working for you. Let's try something else. Let's see if we can educate you a different way, you know? Yeah, there's there's a couple of different, like, alternatives um, around here. There's some program called the Waldorf School, which was more about, like, letting, like, uh, encouraging the kids in what they uh, express as their interests more. I feel like that's a Montessori around here. I don't know if that's yeah, the same probably. up there, but similar, where, like, you find your passion and then you just kind of guide them. Yeah, that sort of thing. Which is interesting, but it—I mean, it always—it's it's always kind of like a fringe sort of sort of thing, and it's always kind of those like upper class parents that can afford to get their kid into that. Yeah, that's and, the thing too. Like, how do you get the revenue aside from taxes to have a private school? Um, let me. God, it's amazing. Maybe it's just because I'm a teacher that I get so interested in schools. But I talk to a ton of people like from all over and different countries and all over the states multiple countries and like education, a lot of people are very passionate about it because they have kids because they went through it. Like it's a very common, it's humanistic. The educational experience of, you know, kindergarten through high school is something almost all people that I speak to um, experience. And they all have like different opinions about what would make it better, which to me is super interesting. I think it's kind of... Probably taps into something primal in us because that's sort of uh, half of the job of a species is to make life a little bit better for the next one, right? Like your your main job is to perpetuate that species, but then especially with in like a in the humans who have the brain power for it, your next job is to teach that generation all the things that you and the previous generation know, so they don't have to go out and learn it the hard way. They can take that and run with it and learn the next thing to teach the next generation kind of thing. And that's, I mean, that's what school is really, right? Yeah, dude. So I was thinking about this and this is kind of, I don't know if it's a hot take zag or whatever, but like, what if we aren't as fucking as humans smart? Like we seem very uppity. I understand we're at the top of like evolution, right? Like we kind of run shit on earth, right? We figured out sharks haven't figured out how to kill us. We have to go to their environment right? They can't come onto our environment and kill us. We figured out how to go in their environment and kill them. So like we've done that with every other organism, right? Basically. But I'm like, how come my dog that didn't go to school knew a Labrador just fucking knew if I threw something to run and go get it back and bring it like something in their genes gets passed on. And then you look at octopus, you look at giraffes, like all these different traits just get passed on. And maybe humans are really inefficient and foolish that we have to school people to be functional. Like what other fucking <laughs> organism needs 12? Like you got to make it all the way to 18 to be productive in your environment. Like a lion would never last. Right. right yeah. It's just like, it's like maybe we're really simple and something in our genetic makeup is hindering our evolution because other animals are just born and know how to dominate and their role in their environment. Yeah, that's, I mean, human life is pretty complicated at this point compared to 
like a lion or something like it is it does blow me away like a horse can get up and walk like you know hours after it's been man. born immediately like all i think humans and it gets me and we, we don't have to get into like the abortion aspect and like dependency and choice but it's where i'm re- i really get fucked up on like okay so if it's in your body it's dependent on you so it's your choice whether to end its life or not but you like have a baby like three months after it's out of you like that thing's still fucking dependent on you but oh, you, yeah. you would <laughs> you would never say oh, i changed my mind three months out of the womb i'm gonna end right. this right like and it's it's one of those things where like the humans you're so dependent. Like, when do you think a child could actually survive on its own? Five, yeah. six years, maybe seven. They'd forage and pick some stuff. Hopefully be yeah, lucky no. enough not to eat something poisonous. Have the wherewithal not to fall off a cliff. Five? I mean, I guess that's where, I guess that's where natural selection comes in. And humans <laughs> survived. Well, I mean, humans survived because we take care of the, our children, yeah. right? And so these other species, I'm sure there were a bunch of them that came along. They were like, no, nah, we're, we're at, like, there's lots of, um, uh, like you're a liability, man. I can't survive hauling your little yeah, bitch ass baby but, ass around. See you, man. But there's lots of them that there's lots of species that just like, don't even know what, whose kids are, you know, they, they're fish. They just lay eggs. Yeah. Peace out. And those, those things hatch and they take care of themselves. There's probably some species that, the fish hatched and needed that, you know, two years of, you know, whatever a dolphin gets, how long does a baby yeah, dolphin right. hang out with its mother sort of thing, right? Elephants. And those species wouldn't, have, they definitely wouldn't have lasted very long <laughs> if the parents just peaced out, right? So I think it's just, yeah, that's that's just an evolutionary thing. We just happen to hang out with our kids for a long time that and keep take them it, from dying. <laughs> yeah, right. Take it really serious. I wonder if birds have it right. Where it's like, motherfucker, you can, you better learn to fly quick. Like, how do they know when the baby's going to Dude, we had, nest? we had a, a nest of robins just outside our front door. And we were like, oh, cool. Like, they weren't hurting anything. So we were watching them. And then this one time I noticed, like, she landed on the edge of the nest. And all these little mouths popped up and stuff. Like, it was super cool to watch. And so we were just kind of, every, every day, we kind of keep an eye on the progress and what was going on. And then one day, my wife said that she saw two of them sitting on the edge and she was like, Oh cool. We haven't seen like the both parents sitting on the edge of the nest before, but she said that their, their feathers were real kind of like ruffly and they looked like unkempt and they didn't look like nice and clean and smooth. Like Robins normally look. And it didn't occur to her at the time. Those were the babies. And then the next day they were just gone. Right? Like they just, they just flew. And it was like a matter of a few weeks. Like she's one, one day she's building the nest and a few weeks later they're gone. And it was like, what the hell happened? Like, God damn, that was fast. I was surprised how quickly that happened. Yeah. It really is when you start getting into like the different species and stuff and you just start comparison. Cause like you do that to understand life and kind of get like calibrated into what is right. Like Jordan Peterson gets into like hierarchies and he'll talk about lobsters have hierarchies and humans have hierarchies. We put people on pedestals and pecking orders and all. So you look to all these different species to understand what organisms are supposed to do. But then you look at the way we deal with our kids and it's like, what's the parallel? Is it like proportional to lifespan? Is that what happens? Because we keep a kid for like a fifth of our life where we're guiding you. And is that the standard where like birds 
only live for a couple of months? <laughs> I don't think that's right. I feel like birds have a long life. Why do you get rid of your kids so quick? How come that doesn't help right. you to like dominate your environment? Why haven't you figured that out where you could build like a little army? <laughs> a little bird community. Yeah, right? Well, they had like just like a bunch of kick-ass rangers that go out there and they're like, these are our woods, man. Those are our worms. Like that's what we do around here. And like, fuck y'all, you can buy worms from us if you want to. <laughs> Go bring us sticks and build us better nests. And that's how this is run. You know, like, it never happens. They just go fend for themselves. I wonder if it has to do with, uh, like, brain size and capacity for that type of, like, that type of rational. I mean, you look at, like, coyotes and stuff, and they'll, like, they'll roll around in packs. And, like, a bunch of the males will go out and do the hunting and work together and the females are at home taking care of the cubs and that sort of thing. And then you get into like bigger and bigger brains and more of that sort of cooperation seems to start to happen, especially as you get into like chimpanzees and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where my limits reached is are we, and that's where I start to get, I don't know, maybe not, maybe I just don't have the enough self-esteem to give like the human brain credit. Cause I'm like, are we just that arrogant <laughs> that we think our brains are better? Like, do we, how do we know other animals aren't self-aware? How do we know other animals don't deal with like mortality? Like we do like, like we don't think there's a fucking dolphin. That's a philosopher that's kicking around ideas and debating shit. Like, does that <laughs> not happen? Like, how do we know if it does or does not happen? Right? Like, I don't That's, yeah, there's yeah, there's even research coming up that Rogan likes to talk about where plants are communicating stuff like that. That we just yeah. think, oh, trees are stupid; they just grow and get cut down and whatever. But uh, yeah, there's all kinds of all kinds of really interesting information coming out now, and uh, especially with like mushrooms and fungus, and that they're talking about treating it as one enormous like continental organism. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that would be crazy. I just I I feel like. We get to the pecking order because we've learned how to kill everything. And it's amazing that if I think that's where it comes down to, if other organisms were so smart, they'd figure out how to take us. But then maybe that's the flaw in us is like, why are we so consumed with taking? Why are we yeah, so consumed with I think dominating? There's probably, yeah, like they probably just have different priorities. Yeah. And right? I think there's probably a, uh, consciousness probably exists on a scale it's not just like oh we're we're self-aware we're conscious that sort of thing i think that that's we have a definitely a bias to um try and relate everything to ourselves and putting ourselves like you're saying on that pedestal and, and being like this is this is the high benchmark you know this is this is the bar where all of you are way down here and we're obviously the best um so I think that there's, there's, I'm sure there's probably a, it's probably a huge spectrum of stuff that we don't consider or value most importantly. Yeah. It's overcomplicated. I think other animals get it right. Like my lab just wants a decent amount of food, good belly rub, take a nap in the sun, you know? And I'm like, dude, that's the fucking life. But like, <laughs> she's limited by a fence. Like she can't figure out her way to get out of a fence to go get what she wants. And I'm like, yeah, there's latches. Like you haven't you sit around all fucking day and you've never thought of like grabbing a stick to get, like, just put it in your mouth and like create a lever, like go get some freedom that never occurs to you. You just wait and hope that somebody walks by and turns a knob 
or lifts up a hitch. Like, bitch, what else right. are you doing all fucking day, man? Figure out a way out. And it's like, she doesn't. She's just happy. You know, like, sitting there, I guess she's happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... But then again, those are, like, unnatural boundaries and uh, and things that we put... that you've put on your dog, yeah, too, right? Like, they'd never see a fence in the or a latch or a doorknob in the wild. So they've never had to figure that out. I don't know, man. I feel like by now, enough especially if they're bred, like that goes to the evolution end, right? Like, so that mom has that puppy for eight weeks and she never has the conversation of like, look, man, when these fucking bipeds go up, do you see how they use that opposite thumb and they grasp? Here's what I've discovered in my life of how we can grasp in order to manipulate our environment. Well, they like, do teach each other stuff like that too. Yeah, but they, like dogs always learn better from other dogs. I knew a dog that could open a doorknob. He would wedge his nose between the door frame and the doorknob, and it created enough friction that when he lifted up, it actually turned the knob, and you could get out. Right. And it was like that's crazy. But I'm sure, and he was he was an, an only dog. <laughs> There's no other dogs around. But I'm sure if he had like other friends, he'd be like he would do it, and the other dog would be like, "No shit, look at that. You figured that out. That's awesome." And then he would do that and then he'd go on a play date to a friend's house and do the same thing and, you know, we'd get around. It's not it's because it's not vocal because they can't write it down. They can't make a, a YouTube video about it. Yeah. And we don't we don't con consider that to be like intelligence, right? Yeah, right. That's what it is. The fucking hieroglyphics, right? Like we were the ones that figured out how to spread that knowledge and other ones are just so person to person dependent. And it's like, mm. we were the species that figured out we can leave communication for others through pictures. And, and yeah, com complicated, out. complicated speech too was huge. I think back in that, in those days, everything else is, I mean, how many, the dolphins have like a, a vocabulary or whatever, but other than that, I don't think that there's too much. I'm sure elephants talk a little bit and cats and dogs have different barks and growls and meows and stuff, but be able to actually have a complicated language. I think that advanced us huge. Yeah. Speaking of complicated language, I'm kind of curious about, cause your Instagram, I feel like you do social media pretty well. Like I've really liked your posts. There's a variety of them. It's something I, as a self-identified boomer struggle with is like, what the fuck like makes sense for a brand? Like what do I post on social media for my podcast? And I don't know how to fucking, I don't know how to do it. Whatever it is, I feel like I suck at it. I feel like you're pretty good at it. And I'm curious, is that like a marketing talk? Have you gotten advice? Do you did you just grow up playing with it and kind of evolved with it cuz we're I didn't realize we were pretty similar in age. So you make me feel very old that I'm 2 years older <laughs> than you cuz I feel so lame at it. Um thanks. I I appreciate that. It's been it's definitely been like uh just growing up with technology and computers in general. I mean, when we were in high school, they were inventing the internet kind of, yeah. you know I mean, and, and they were just like, we knew as much as the teachers knew because there was, that was all there was to know at the time. Um, so just being, I guess just being like kind of plastic and, um, and, and just being able to kind of adapt to that sort of changing environment from a young age, like we grew up learning, um, while these things are being invented. So yeah, social media popping up and just it being like kind of the next thing. Uh, I guess it just, 
I just sort of learned to kind of grow with it a little bit. Um, it's been tricky in the knife business because we're getting a little bit of Instagram and Facebook are getting kind of shadow banning with the weapons and sort of stuff back like years ago, four, three, four or five years ago, it was awesome. I mean, you could track your insights. You could, um, it was predictable. You're okay. If I make a post on like a, a photo versus video on this day at this kind of time, it's going to get this kind of traction. If I use these hashtags, these ones seems to work. These ones don't that sort of stuff. Like it was really pretty, pretty cool. Like you could really manipulate the algorithm and make it really work in your favor. I knew a guy who, um, his, his tactic was he set a timer on his phone every two hours and no matter what he was doing, he would take a photo of it and post it every two hours. And it was just like huge, like, because he was posting that much, he got that kind of traction and like more and more of his stuff was being shown to people that didn't follow him yet. He blew up and that doesn't happen anymore. Everything's changed. Nobody knows how the algorithm works anymore. I feel like and they're it's, forcing people into paying for shit. Like I think that that's kind of the plan. Yeah. Thing is like, hey man, we're not gonna just have this organic interest occur. I think you gotta start fucking giving us some money and then maybe even bots. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but the reason I bring this up is because it happened to me. And I've been real slow in my social media growth. I, I don't have anywhere near followers you do. But the last three days, two days, I've been getting a fucking like a follow every hour, every hour and a half. And it's 25 followers within a day. And I'm like, I've never gotten just ding. Hey, you got a follower. So I look at the profile and it's a lot of like private accounts, which make me wonder like, are they actually people is this organic or did instagram because i've boosted a couple different like posts i was like oh, oh man i'll throw drip. i'll throw 30 and let it go for six days and like just starting to play with like oh what's my target audience should i go and go california or like i had um a lady from the satanic temple on <laughs> which is an after school program um which is fucking hilarious to me and I'm like, they have like court cases going in North Carolina. So I'm like, oh man, maybe I'll like do some targeted North Carolina. Here are the demographics. You know how you can like pick Instagram audience and like send it that way. Mm. But like you can see views, you can see likes, but then these follows don't seem to follow that pattern. But I'm like, why the fuck am I getting followers days later if I'm not running ads? And then there are accounts that aren't really open. And like, it's, it hasn't led to downloads. So like, why are you following me if you're not downloading my podcast? And it's like, oh, is this fucking Instagram trying to be like, you paid us for ads. Here are some follows. Pay us more like subliminally, you know, because I yeah. feel just the skeptic in me. It's a moneymaker, right? Like, and if they now can make you pay them to get exposure, wouldn't they incentivize that if they're a for-profit business? Right. Yeah, it's... There's some shady shit going on, I would think. Um, what's weird about that is I can't boost a photo. I can't um, buy advertising on. I haven't been able to buy an ad on Facebook or Instagram since about January 2019. Just because of um, the knives? Yeah, something changed right around then. And it wasn't just with me. Uh, I've got some other buddies who noticed all of our interactions and stuff just fell right off at the face of the earth. Um, it's funny, like I've got a, a photo on my phone, right? I took two screenshots. One was from 
like uh, November or December 2018. And it was just like an innocuous, it's just like a, a couple pieces of material glued together and clamped to make a, a handle. And it's just like, it looks ugly, it's gross, there's a shitty background. It's just like a really not a great picture. And then I've got a, one of my favorite knives I've ever made in a beautiful scene, well edited, like gorgeous knife. This thing should be like blowing up. And then I've got the comparison of the insights underneath each one. And it's just like shitty photo got 4,000 hits or, or reach reach was like 4,000 beautiful photo was like 800 God. and all, all of them are like that. And so, and, and the knife photo um, was from like February or something of 2019, oh. something happened right around then where everybody's just fell off. And then 2019 was like, it was a brutal year for me. It was like every at the end of every month, it was like, okay, I think I made just enough. I can do this for another month, but maybe then I'm looking for work. You know, at every single month, it was like, am I looking for work next month? Uh, I've just, you know, I just skated by maybe next month the whole time. And, um, and then Joe Rogan posted a photo and saved my business basically in December of 2019. And, um, but it's, but yeah, the social media stuff has just been, it's been so weird. And, um, I, I mean, they I'll, I'll keep getting these little things like suggested, you know, here's 10 bucks to, to boost a photo or, Hey, maybe you should like buy this or buy that. And I'm like, all right, sure. Click. Oh no, sorry. You're promoting violence. Like every right. single thing is promoting violence. This, this, have you <laughs> which ever, is, have you ever tried to like email them or like contact Instagram or someone to be like, explain, Hey man, I sell, legit knives i'm not making weapons of small mass destruction yeah it's the first few times and i was trying to because i 2019 was a killer so i'm like trying to like boost photos and stuff and and buy advertising i tried doing the google ad thing and um i was trying everything i could think of and uh and you know get a couple of them would get they come back like no sorry this violates our, our policy or whatever um because it promotes violence and then you can you can um ask them to review it or something and so that goes and it comes back in like two minutes and it says that it's declined again you're like you know nobody looked at this yeah. so then you can do it again and i think if you do like three or four times finally someone might actually look at it and then it usually just comes back with like a cut and paste email it's like yeah we've reviewed this and it looks like it violates you know your if you if you point it to your website, then your website can't have anything on it except for like very specific a knife you could buy at Walmart kind of thing. And then if you like just just kitchen knives, I guess kitchen knives seem to be okay. My fucking my feed is just full of knife ads, so I don't know how they get through. But it's just like clearly like hunting knives in a leather sheath, and they're like look at this great kitchen knife and they're slicing a tomato with it. And it's like, that's not a kitchen knife, but because that's the phrasing, then I guess that gets through and yeah. I don't really know how it works, but it's, I'm really glad that it, I, um, I got fortunate and got like a huge boost from a more organic source than, uh, having to just fight with those guys for that kind of stuff. And I learned a really good lesson to not put all of my eggs in that social media basket because it's, awesome because it's global the reach is sick like you can never at newspaper ads never going to reach what you can online and um and it's free and interactive 
But um, yeah, unfortunately for guys like making knives or if you're into guns or anything like that, that could be anything that sounds like a weapon. Um, unfortunately, we're getting pretty shadow banned right now. Yeah, I'm even thinking of like basic accessories, right? And I, I don't know what yeah. accessories could go on, but I'm imagining there's a lot of functional shit that active dudes would like. And it's there's like, a lot of guys like who make like gun um, holsters like for inside your vehicle or whatever. And the funny trend that's going on for the last couple of years is instead of the they can't put a gun in there because then they'll get gets banned basically. Instead, they'll put a banana in it. <laughs> so there's all these holster <laughs> posts all over the place, and there's always a banana in the posts. Fucking brilliant! <laughs> it's brilliant. God, dude, like that's the reason why. I don't know, man. Like I, I know a lot of left leaning people and they, they're shitting on Elon, like buying Twitter. Like a lot of my liberal circle is like, Elon just wants to platform Trump. And then part of me wants to be like, or maybe he wants to free the shit up. So people like you who make a really cool custom product can advertise it and can know the fucking algorithm to understand what are the rules so that market would dictate, okay, now you can intelligently use the market. That's kind of what we want as capitalists, right? Like give us the rules. Okay. Now that's a fair playing field. And now let's see who's the best at using this product, but you don't get it. Yeah. It's giving somebody like the control over all of that, like, like Twitter or like, um, Facebook who owns Instagram, like giving, having them, um, make the rules, I guess is i mean that that's because all their all of their political and social and um all of those leanings are going to come into play none of them are going to be are going to be able to like just step back and just be well you can't um, talk to anybody right like that's what sucks about your story is you're like yeah i'll just say like hey man try it again try it again try it again and then you get a copy and paste email like why the fuck isn't tom calling you or brenda (laughs) And they're like, hey, Mike, oh, shit, another one of your ads got screwed up again. I got you, man. Let me click it for you. All right, y'all good now, yeah, Mike? That's just awesome. Just a scale thing, I guess. It's just too many, right? It's too big. Yeah, but, I mean, how fucking profitable do you need to be before you hire some people to And the, I mean, to your department. point, too, they're, they're losing revenue by me not buying their ad, right? Yeah. I guess they're just worried about losing users because they if they see too many of these too many of these ads. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's very messy and it's unfortunate that it went in what seems to be the wrong direction. But I mean, if you're one of those, please think of the children then I'm sure you're real happy. About it. <laughs> That's so true. So social media versus like farmer's markets. How did you try to grow the business? Uh, well, like I say, social media is like unbeatable because it's so vast. It's, I mean, it, it's so powerful, um, but there is a place for local markets. Um, some of the bigger shows I went down and did the Portland uh, Sportsman's Show, which was super cool. That was right as COVID was kicking off, um, so luckily we squeezed that one in. But it's it's good because, especially with something like mine, like a, a product like mine, that you need to be able to pick up and hold and see in person to really appreciate something like that. Um, having those in-person markets are 
are really good. And just like being able to talk to people and them getting to know you a little bit. And so having a personality behind the project, the, the product, um, and a, you know, more than just like a photo on your profile photo and <laughs> social yeah. media and stuff. There's definitely something to be said for that as well. Um, and it's, but again, I mean, at a local market here, I might see 150 people, 200 people at these things. Sportsman show is huge, but it's also expensive and it's five days out of your life as well. That's, that's part of it too. So there's, there's pros and cons to both, but I think you have to do both because like I learned, you can't just put all your eggs into social media and hope it doesn't completely fall apart on you inexplicably. Yeah. Or it makes you like dependent on it. And then all of a sudden cuts you off, which you're like, damn girl, I thought we were cool. What happened? And right. Instagram's <laughs> like, nah, not you. You're not the one. Um, how did the Joe Rogan thing happen? And like, is like, how, like, do you have now a Joe Rogan tattoo because he follows you? <laughs> I don't know how many people he follows, but that has to be pretty fucking cool. Like a weird kind of level of endorsement. Yeah. Uh, it was, I remember the, I remember looking at my phone and seeing, I was in the yard at the timber frame place. I remember looking at my phone and being like, you follower Joe Rogan and just being like, holy shit. <laughs> but that was, um, it was totally not, uh, because of anything I did really. There's a, a guy who was up here as a, big game guide hunting guide uh, named Mike Hawkridge and Joe came up and hired Mike to take him on a hunt and Mike put him on this huge bull moose and Joe got him and um, Joe came up with a, a guy who was writing an article for Peterson's hunting magazine and so there's a cover photo of Joe standing there with this massive moose leg on his shoulder and um, that was taken at Mike's ranch it was just cool and so between the two of those guys Mike wanted to get um, Joe something just for, you know, thanks for, thanks for being a wicked dude. And he wanted a, he wanted to get him a, a hunting knife just so it would kind of tie into their experience. And, um, and he wanted it to be someone from BC and one of the guides who was working with him, uh, his buddy, Sean had just recently started following me, you know, learned about me from, we lived in the same town. I said, check out this Mike guy. So he, he looks me up and hits me up with, uh, a quick message just cold called on uh, Facebook and we started chatting found out we learned lived like 45 minutes away <laughs> and um so that worked out great he came over and we talked about it and um he's he's an awesome guy super fun to just hang out with and, and shoot the shit endless stories I hope he gets on Joe's podcast sometime because he'll just Joe could just say so got any hunting stories and that'd be a three-hour podcast in no time but um so yeah, so he 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 got a knife. He let me. He gave me like a lot of creative control there. Um, I came up with a brand new model that I called the Bow Hunter because I knew Joe was real into shooting a bow, and um, it's since become my most popular hunting knife. Sent it to Joe, and Joe was stoked about it, and um, he actually hit me up just to say thanks, which was super cool of him. And um, since then, he's been really supportive. Um, he's actually. He's, he's bought a couple of knives from me for friends and stuff, which is really cool and um, throws a, a post up once in a while on his Instagram, which, I, you know, obviously blows my, my account every time, which is crazy. So um, can't can't say enough good things. He's been uh, I mean, the guy must be so insanely busy and 
once in a while he'll reply in a DM to me, which is, it's nice that he's, you know, has that kind of time. And because I think he came up too from like, he, he was on food stamps when he was a kid and stuff. And so he came up and, and he still, uh, you know, remembers the value of a dollar and knows, you know, appreciates handcrafted things and, and tools and, uh, especially hunting related. So it all really worked out really cool. And yeah, he's just been, he's been really nice more so than he really needed to be. <laughs> so that's, like I say, he saved my, my business in uh, December of 2019 with one single post, literally 10,000 followers overnight. Seriously? Like insane. Doubled my following on Instagram with one post like that. Yeah. I think at the time he had like 4 million followers or something. It was just like, retarded (laughs) what is that and it translate translated into orders for you or were you able to flip the social media into like some other like oh now i'm sponsored by blank and you were able to do it like an advertising stream no it it turned into a bunch of orders which is cool lots of there's definitely lots of like fanboys i need that same exact knife you made for him kind of thing probably the guys who have his tattoo on their, on their leg or whatever <laughs> so but free. Dude, uh, that is such a next level of fandom the fucking i oh, love when he posts it but could you imagine going to the tattoo parlor being like i hope joe likes this enough like how many dudes got the tattoo looking for the post that didn't get it and now just have the tattoo I actually know one. Do you really? <laughs> I won't, I'm, I'm not going to name him. <laughs> it's, uh, he, but he's, he's just such a huge fan and I, I, he doesn't regret it or anything. Right. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's gotta be such a mind fuck every time. Like someone's got their, your face tattooed on them. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, dude. Especially if you just, if you're, if you come from those humble kind of beginnings to be like, I'm this big of a fucking deal. It's got to be so weird. Luckily, he he's like he was on TV when he was a kid, so I think it it was a progression as well. Right. It wasn't just like thrown at him all of a sudden. He wasn't like Macaulay Culkin or whatever. Yeah. Um. Because I think that's got to be like overwhelming. How do you handle that? Dude, I don't think especially anybody as does. a kid. Yeah, so, like Molly yeah. Cyrus, all all the all these t- Disney stars, Britney Spears. Like you don't have control of your life for a fucking decade. Cause you made mm-hmm. a hit song written by a 40 year old man who put you in a schoolgirl outfit to sell it. And like, now right. you're fucked for, for the next 20 years of your life. Nothing is normal. That should be. Yeah. I mean, look at like guys like Bieber who's, who's never known what anything costs. Like that's, yeah. that's gotta be such a bizarre life. I mean, that's yeah. like, that would have been like royalty back in the day. Like you just, yeah. this is you, they all work for you. Yeah. Like, and just growing up as that's your normal, like that fuck, that must have been so bizarre. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really neat to hear that he um isn't just like a like a user. I guess that goes with his brand, like why he's so appealing. The fact that you can still get messages from a dude that is that busy and does that much shit and like he was look like looking out for you. Like he realizes the value of a post of an endorsement of just like, yeah. hey man, this is cool and this'll help you yeah he's he knows like he he's so smart he's just an intelligent guy and so he he's not blind to that sort of thing he can see through when people are just trying to use him um and and he, yeah like you're saying he understands how far that gesture of his goes um and and he i mean he he can use that i mean when he when 
when he wants to and when he thinks that somebody deserves it, I guess. Right. Not saying that I did, but but he's I mean, he loves helping people out, lots of other lots of other guys in all kinds of different fields. Um just likes cool shit and likes showing it off and, and sharing it, right? Which is awesome. Um but yeah, to, I mean, for me, it translated into orders. Uh, every knife that I had sold in, you know, a couple of days, which was cool. I didn't have a ton of stock, but I had some and they sold out. And yeah, it was just a, it was a whirlwind. And then I, I felt a bunch of pressure like, shit, okay, I got to figure out how to capitalize on this. It's like an opportunity kind of thing, right? Yeah. And then, you know, without being a super dick about it, you know, I don't want to go throwing his name all over my profile like as seen on joe Rogan, you know i don't want to be that kind of an asshole you know some douchebag but still like figuring out how i can sort of leverage what was going on with my own account um so that was <laughs> it was it was weird because i knew that there was going to be like a um a lifespan to there you know there was going to be like a deadline toward that sort of bubble burst and so trying to take advantage of that and okay i gotta like take a bunch of cool photos and, and post like photos of like all the different cool things that I can make now while all these bots fresh in all these people's minds right. kind of thing. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's weird, like not ever anticipating something like that. And then all of a sudden having to be like, what do you do with when this drops in your lap? <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a weird, weird ride. <laughs> yeah. That just seems so, Hollywood. And again, I, I don't know you at all, but the vibe, like even the, the background of the screen I'm looking at, it's like, it, it's I'm just, just in my tool shed. <laughs> yeah. It's a tool shed. Like it's nothing fucking like, it's like, yeah, man, it's just dry or like, what is that? The press board that's in the background? Like it's just wood. It's not like, oh my God, yeah. you're in this epic workspace that clearly is like half a million dollars that you've poured into. It's like, no, nah, man, I'm just a dude with a hobby. <laughs> And now I've got oh, to figure yeah. out how to like be somewhat Hollywood and like maximize the opportunity. You know, it just don't, doesn't don't seem get like me, you. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I didn't sell Mike Jones knife and tool to Spotify for a couple hundred million or anything. It's, it's just, <laughs> I'm still just like every day going to the shop and grinding steel and um, trying to make mortgage payments still. It's yeah. Right. Yeah, it, but I get to do this for a living. Um, which is super cool. Yeah. And so I, um, scrolling through the Instagram or through your Instagram, then I got to the Lex Friedman and I forget the guy who went on Rogan, the Stanford professor. That's uh, Andrew Huberman. Andrew Huberman, who fucking dude, when I listen, that's the beautiful thing about these podcasts. And you listen to Jordan Peterson, Lex, and that's where Rogan's, like the nuance, all these people in my life that hate on Rogan don't listen to him a ton. And I'm like, he's so fucking smart in the way he can interact and remember shit and the circles he can actually contribute to is amazing mm -hmm. to me. Like I'm in awe of the fact that you can fucking be at the highest of high conversations and learn and add and ask insightful questions and then know when to shut the fuck up and listen. And then you can just be a dumbass. And like get drunk, get high and just shoot the shit. Like it's such a good fucking range. But then I'm like, oh my God, you fucking made it on to not only like a shout out of Lex Friedman, but like I was listening to the pod, I'm playing NBA 2K and I'm just zoning out and I'm listening to the Andrew, the professor 
from Stanford. And like, they fucking spoke about you for like 10 minutes, man. Like you were a, in, like coming back from a break, you led a fucking segment on a worldwide podcast. I was like, holy shit. I had no idea. Like you were that level of fucking guy also. That was pretty fucking um, cool. Yeah, no, that was completely unexpected as well. And um, I, as I was watching that, I was like, I can't believe they're going this deep. They pulled up my Instagram account on the screen, which you never really, like, hardly ever see Lex do that on a podcast. Um, yeah, those those two dudes are uh, unique individuals. Andrew, I've actually spoken to on the phone a couple of times. He was super cool. He was actually, so Joe has a bush fucker. And when Andrew went on his podcast back in the day, they used to, he used to have like a whole array of like weapons and stuff like samurai sword and Elon's not a flamethrower and stuff. And my bush fucker was on there. And so, you know, people would like pick up one of them and take a photo beside the werewolf or whatever. And, um, Huberman was the first guy to be like, Oh, what is this? And he picked it up and he appreciates uh, handcrafted stuff he immediately recognized that as like someone put love into this you know and so he got his photo with the bush fucker and uh, i remember i commented something like of course it takes like the neuroscience professor or whatever <laughs> to play with the bush fucker you get all these fucking drunks and comics and mma guys and stuff on your show it takes this fucking science uh, or professor of neuroscience but uh, that guy grew up skateboarding, like back in the day with like oh. um, when the Bones Brigade and stuff like that. He knew all of the original Red Dragons guys, which is a big scene from uh, Vancouver. Um, and uh, and and so he was he's just like he's just a normal dude who happens to be super smart and really good at school and <laughs> uh, in, interested in knowing how the brain works. Right. right. And um so, yeah, I mean, yeah, fuck, you listen to that guy talk on most podcasts. And Dude, it's, it's so hard talk. to keep up with them, man. Like, it, yeah. it, I'm I'm a fairly, I feel like I'm a fairly, I'm a, probably, I'm definitely average, if not above average, with, like, my cognition but yeah. and my ability to follow shit. You listen to 10 minutes and you can't even remember what they said because it's so fucking dense. The mm. depth of their argument, the way they articulate the multi-syllabic words they throw around like it's fucking jelly on a PBJ. You're like, how, how is this normal, man? It's, I'm sorry, but yeah, like it's just those people I'm like, I, I get in awe of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. The, just the volume of knowledge that they can carry in their brain and, yeah. and re recall and, um, converse and about and, like and understand completely yeah. yeah elaborate on break mm -hmm. shit down you're like holy shit like what you were talking about with steel i know you felt like oh man i'm fucking this up or whatever the fact that you were able to go through like dude that was like five six minutes and i didn't fucking prep you about like hey man at the two and a half hour mark i'm gonna ask you to explain to me about how steel becomes anti-magnetic and you're like oh yeah i'll get that like you didn't have any fucking notes for that <laughs> You're like thinking of that shit on the fly and that was really good. And these dudes do that with fucking like 50 different things in a three hour span. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's yeah, like, him and, and Lex too. He's, yeah. Uh, he's a special kind of mind as well. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just cool. Like Huberman was just stoked on what I was doing and, uh, he wanted to get his buddy Lex a knife and came up with that cleaver 
uh, that he wanted to get him and I built it for him. And it was, uh, I'm just like super blown away that they devoted that kind of time, especially because like it, that kind of out of Lex's sort of, uh, norm, I think they don't normally like highlight something like that on, on his, on either of their podcasts really. Um, but it was, yeah, it just seemed like it was super surreal just cause it was like, what the hell are these guys doing? Like I've, I've never spoken to Lex and he's devoting this kind of time on his podcast where he talks to people like Elon Musk and, you know, like all these Mark geniuses. Mark Zuckerberg. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, he might be, might be interviewing Putin. And yeah, he's, and Zelensky. And he's, <laughs> like, yeah. And he's, and he's putting this time into, uh, into just like looking at my Instagram feed. <laughs> You're going to lose some audience here, Lex, but no, that was, that was really super cool. Um, blew me away that those guys were were doing that and taking that time to look into this really and you could tell like he was looking at it and, and you can see in his face like looking over it and at every angle and just um seemed like he was kind of getting it you know what i mean he was kind of appreciating what goes into something like that that gets made just by hand yeah see that's where me as a simpleton i try to realize my limits of like I don't know if I got one. Like, would I be able to appreciate what you make? Like, am I smart enough to appreciate it if I hold it? Or would I just be (laughs) like, dude, I got this shit at Target. No, it's, it's not about like, I don't know. If, if you ever made something yourself, then that would be, um, I've actually had people who've like longtime customers of mine who've, Hey, I've always wanted to, try making a knife i'm finally doing it just like you know i see you do all the time and then they come back at me like okay i really i i thought i appreciated your i thought i appreciated your work before now i have a whole new understanding of kind of what goes into it so there's i mean there's a level of like just just recognize i mean if you if you look at a, a painting on the wall and you can just look at that and be like, oh, that's really pleasing to look at. I like the colors. It draws my eye into this direction, that sort of thing. That's a cool painting. And then if you go home and try and paint, you're like, fuck, this is, I can't, how the hell did they do that? And this and that and brush, I got to learn how about brush strokes and what the hell and composition. And so oh, then you gosh, go back and look at that painting so and be like, whoa, they're really good at this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that kind of thing, you just, it's perspective like we were talking about before. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I was just thinking of like Bob Ross making it look easy and going to like the art and wine classes where you like have a drink and somebody teaches you how to like make a sunflower in a field. But I like I'm never gonna make. I don't think I'm ever gonna make my own knife. I I like I would love to make my own beer, but I like I I don't know if I can appreciate good wine. Like I drink ten dollar bottle of wine. I've bought like twenty five dollar bottle of wine. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know what the hype's about. I know it's something. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I'm the kind of dude to appreciate it. And like, it's a weird thing when you talk about Lex, like really analyzing it. I feel like certain people just have the mind to know the difference, to notice all the details. I think you had mentioned something earlier about like the little details you notice where you don't want other people to notice. So you make sure to correct them. Right. Like it's a, maybe an insecurity of mine where I'm like, would I even know like, oh man, this fucking, like, look at the polish on this. That's, that's worth this price. 
where I'm like, ah, why not be plastic? So I could save 50 bucks, you know, like. I think it just comes down to like what other personal experience you've got in life kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like if being able to appreciate Edgar Allan Poe versus me, if I tried to write a poem (laughs) or something like that, it's just coming down to like, that's, I mean, Lex has, is, an engineer and designer and so he's got that kind of brain of looking at detail and design and and all those kinds of things so he's coming at it from that side of things whereas you know there's all sorts of different ways to look at something like that and so he probably i bet he sees things about it that i may not even know to look for or to appreciate maybe like there's little things that um maybe something that i did wrong maybe he's looking at it like oh if you design this slightly different like this maybe it would be more efficient or whatever right more efficiency man you get 28 percent more inertia if you just maybe yeah like maybe he's looking at it like well if you shaped it slightly different it would nest in with other ones on a big sheet and you could get more out of your material and there'd be less waste you know maybe he's looking at something like that there's so many different ways like um to look at anything like that that you know some people would appreciate more than others and um but Coming down to, I bet there's, if you looked around, there's probably people within a couple hours of where you live. There's lots of guys doing courses now where you could go for a weekend or whatever and um, show up with zero experience and walk away with a knife. My buddy, um, Jared Boothill Blades does it. I think he lives in Kentucky, but there's, um, yeah, lots of these guys, you just walk in there and he's got all the stuff there and um, you can actually stay on his uh, at his house, he's got like a guest house that he built for it, and he brings in like a five star chef and stuff for the the couple of nights you're there. Looks super cool. I want to go do it. <laughs> but um, there's there's lots of guys doing courses like that now, and people ask me to do it here, but um, I don't really know if I want to get into <laughs> trying to teach other people stuff that I'm still feel like I'm learning. You know what I mean? No, man, that's weird. Like you're <laughs> antisocial or something. That would be like that's like owning that the too. microbrew. <laughs> Right. Like that's I had no idea that that was like a niche market. That sounds like such a good fucking weekend getaway. Like, hey, man, I'm going to totally. work Friday night and we'll go make a knife or go create some whatever object that will slice and have a great time doing it. The fucking chefs sounds amazing. Yeah, that's I will. Have yeah, look up, up, look up Boot Hill Blaze and go tell him, tell him Mike sent you. Jared's a cool guy. And uh, I think like in the evenings you can shoot skeet and stuff in his field and then he makes it into a good weekend but i think people like lots of father son things go like there's father's days coming up but lots of father sons and um you know just a couple of buddies go that always wanted to make knives and you come away with something that you can say i fucking i made this from raw materials and be super proud of it and then you'll have an appreciation for other custom knives that are out there i've still got one like right when right when i started making knives i went and bought one um, there's a knife from this company called Groman out in the East coast of, of Canada. And I keep it, um, around and every once in a while I'll pick it up. And every time I look at it, there's different things about it that I'll notice or appreciate or, but I'm always kind of, I was always using it as my benchmark and comparing my work to this one. Like, Oh, how do I get the bevel just right? Or whatever, like this, his pins are nice and flush and finished and I got to make mine like that. And then just yeah just just kind of always sort of using that as my benchmark and then trying to exceed it as well 
so it's and then and it's it was funny because there's always things that i'd never appreciated when i first bought it but now that i've made so many knives looking back same thing then you kind of you grow that appreciation you learn to look for things you know that's so fucking true i'm sitting here with a big gel gelosity pen a g2 and i realized because i fucking use a pen so often and I have like a budget. I'm a teacher. I get to order pens. I'm like, I have zero qualms about fucking upcharging for a good quality pen. I'm like, no, I, I know the point I like. I know the way that ink flows. And why do I care? Because I use it often. And what you said about poems or trying to draw a picture, like that's so true, man. Until you try to do shit on your own, you really can't appreciate people who can just fucking do it right and do it exceptionally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's... You talk to a chef and they're going to appreciate a well-built knife far more than some home cook yeah. probably will. Maybe, maybe not. I I wanted to ask because there was an inscription about a poem I think Lex had read at the passing. I'm trying to remember now. I believe like his grandmother had passed and he read a poem and the knife that they ordered got engraved. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, he he read that poem um, one of the times he was on Rogan. It's become a thing now. He ends his the interview with a reading a poem, and I, I can't remember who that one was by. Andrew really enjoyed that poem as well. Um, but the last line was it was it was like a the poem was like a letter from like a mother to a son or something like that, and the last line was. Um, uh, oh, it was, I think it was called like to be a man or something like that. But the last line was something like, um, and yours is the earth, uh, to do with what you will or something like that, or, or to, to, yeah, fuck, I wish I could remember it. <laughs> but, um, uh, Andrew wanted to have an inscription, something written on the blade for Lex and, uh, oh, I think it was in yours is the earth and you will be a man or something like that. And so I thought it'd be cool to just engrave, uh, in yours, in yours as the earth. And, and he, I mean, he got it right away. He knew exactly what it was, which was, uh, super cool. So that worked out really good. But the, so I don't even like want to disrespect him by calling him Andrew. Like, I don't know why that I, I feel. Uh, it's easier. It's, than... it's cause I'm such a fanboy, to be honest with you. Right. Like I'm insecure. Um, but on the pot, he was like, he left it up to the maker to select the line, which I thought was pretty interesting. And I was curious, like, did you give a ton of thought to it? Did something gravitate? Do you get into poetry yourself where you were like, oh, wow. I don't, is... I don't really. My mom was an English teacher. She's a, a retired English teacher. And so we always had like um, grammar, spelling, all that stuff really pounded into our heads, but I really do appreciate um, language, especially when people can manipulate it, which is uh, yeah. why Carlin was one of my favorites because he was so brilliant with language. Um, and I mean, I'm a big fan of Eminem just because Dude. the way that he can just spin English on its head, make things up and have it all make sense. Like His, his lyrics are, are unbelievable. But um so I, I, I don't know, I, I got a bit of an appreciation for language in that regard um, and, and just and, and writing and just using specific words in specific ways. 
I really like. But um, yeah, he he, well, he kind of he just kind of threw it out there, like you know, I just wanted to have like what could we engrave on it that would make it cool, that sort of thing. And, and so like it came to me pretty quick. Um, I don't know why. I was just like, huh, what could we? I I don't know Lex or Andrew really at all. <laughs> I don't know why. That's he's the hardest this, part, like because it, it seems me. so personal. And that's why yeah. I was like, wow, man, like that's, that's a very personal thing to let someone pick. I, yeah, that's, it was weird that he was like asking, he was, but I mean, he, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a big deal. He was just like, yeah, I've, I got any ideas of something that we could engrave on there sort of thing. And, you know, I get a lot of like wives who buy a hunting knife for their husband and they want to like engrave some super cheesy fucking line on there that the last thing that he wants his buddies to be reading when he pulls out his knife like oh cool let me check out your knife and it's got some just cheese ball line on it like i'll forever be yours and all this bullshit no so um, i try and talk to him out of that like maybe we'll just put you know his initials and a date or something <laughs> so it was kind of like ah, uh, what are we gonna like we're not gonna engrave like on a whole poem on there it's a big blade but we let's just do i, I like uh the efficiency of being concise but getting across the whole point with within like a the the shortest amount and so yeah. getting that really got the whole poem across with just that one line right and yours is the earth it's right at the end it, i remember when he read that poem it was kind of it was really it was a great poem um the way that he delivers it was really unique and uh emotional and, and um and and very very just very lex <laughs> but yeah. uh i remember getting that that last line and he leaned into it too and he was reading it too. like he you knew that this was an important line and uh and the the line wrapped up the whole poem all perfectly and so i guess i don't know it just popped into my head just thinking about him and the last time that i heard uh him was on that podcast when he read that poem so it probably made sense that it popped up to me right away because that was the last time I heard his voice basically I think was reading that poem on Joe's podcast so came up and I thought and yours is the earth three dots to kind of like lead it out and yeah right it worked out really good I'm such a huge fan of the three dots I think I'm probably if like if Google or Android whoever fucking runs my Samsung was able to track how often I do dot 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 after whatever message I post it I'd I'd be 45% of the time I'm hitting you with dot, dot, dot. Like there's something about that interpretive. It's not ended yet. It's like a fade that. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving me. is leaving some of it up to the, the reader. Yeah, too. Like think on this for a little bit. Don't just say the word and stop, like say the word and ponder. Where do you go yeah. with it? Like there's something about those dot, dot, dots. And dude, the I, what I started thinking when he was looking at the knife so much is I love part of what I like about Poe and Taylor Swift, ironically enough, is like the juxtaposition of shit that shouldn't be together, but you can put it together and have it make sense. And it fits beautifully. Mm. And you think of a knife and a fucking cleaver and it's just blood. It's gore. It's the opposite of sensitive poetry and articulation. Right? It's like, dude, we ain't got no fucking time for words. I got a sharp blade. Give me your wallet. I'm gonna fucking take your life. Like that's <laughs> that's what a knife is. Like I own you. I have power. There is no fucking nuance. It's a blade. It cuts. Done. But pump, there's right. no interpretation. 
But a poem, it's like, nah, man, let's ponder, let's think. And to put those two things together, I wonder really like for Lex, was that part of the moment of just appreciating how these two different feelings, vibes, realms can come together so beautifully and actually make sense. And that's what I took the moment as, which is really weird to get like that introspective of a podcast moment. But that's what I kept going to was like, how fucking dope is that, that this sensitive poem gets on this kick-ass weapon? Yeah, I never, I never thought about it that way. That's a really interesting way to consider that. Um, I, I never, <laughs> it's funny, I never really put together that as like a juxtaposition. I never, I always just considered the two things as separate. Like it's just the, the, the engraving things but it, i guess i mean obviously it's they're both one thing it, it should be it should be uh considered as combined and what each of them brings together to complement each other i think that's kind of part of how i approach a lot of the design um mine my designs are always like really um function first but to make it to to kind of take it sort of to the next level where it's um also got like some beauty to it um like maybe trying to make the grain in the wood match the lines in the the shape the profile the blade kind of thing just stepping a little bit farther out of just this is just a tool to do some cutting um so it kind of that made me think of that when you were talking about that juxtaposition but coming together um complementary in a complementary way Dude, that was one of, and I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like that's, I, it was one of the videos that was cooler on your Instagram and I'll, I won't be able to describe it well, but basically you were like buffing the handle and it, I, I don't know if it was marbled, but I think it was like light blue and it had just different lines of brown in it. And it was like, I have this fucking killing. I have this thing that ends life look at the beauty when I polish this and it's like, that's a consideration. And it was one of the cooler videos because you could appreciate the beauty in the savagery of the weapon. And like that matters. And at the same time, you're like using words, beauty for dudes that want to go rip skin off another mammal <laughs> and, right. and, you know, cut off meat. And it's like, nah, man, we want to consider, we want to consider aesthetics and that is something that's really cool. I think about your knives is like it, there, there's this art and this science and this like, I don't know, man, like there, there's, there's a beauty to it, but it's also like just this fucking wet. It's savage. It's primal. <laughs> and it's a weird, it's like what society should be. The ability to be primal and savage, but at the same time, intricate and detail oriented and, have this natural like stop and smell the roses stop and notice the handle stop and smell the roses kind of vibe to it well i appreciate all those really nice words <laughs> but yeah it's uh i think that the, i think that hunters in particular get a bit of a bad rep um the ones that i know the the killing part and you know the skinning and all of that like the savagery is such a tiny part of the whole experience. Yeah. Most of the guys that I know, like they're out there like, look at this landscape, look at this beautiful place we're in, look at these beautiful animals. There's um there's such an appreciation for 
for the animals themselves, for sure, for the whole, the, all in nature. Um, they're, they're all conservationists, all the hunters yeah. that I know. And, um, and they've just got such a reverence for being able to have that experience and to provide that food for their family and all of that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's so much more than like when I was growing up, I was just thinking like hunters, bunch of guys out swilling beer, firing off guns, shooting at whatever kind of thing. Um, I couldn't have been farther from the truth, <laughs> from the reality of the, these guys. And so I think that um, what you're saying, kind of that stop and smell the roses thing, that's exactly what's going on up there is that, you know, they'll snap a couple of photos to show buddies at home, but you never get the full experience of them sitting around on top of this mountain, looking around like, Holy fuck, look at this amazing place that we get to be in. And then they put the, you know, I try and hopefully be a small part of that where they pull out their knife and they go like, Oh, Holy fuck. Look at this cool knife. I get to yeah. use, you know, and, and just, it's, it's not just a basic, I mean, you could take a blade and wrap the handle with hockey tape and call it good enough, but you want it to um, complement this entire experience and this landscape that these guys are in where they get to use that tool, hopefully, <laughs> in a successful hunt. <laughs> the hopefully part. That's why I never did it. I'm like, wait, I got to wake up at three in the morning, sit and fucking freeze my ass off just for the chance that I might? Right. Nah, man. I'm going to go with the guarantee which is my warm bed and sleeping in. Like it, I can never get over that. That's home. a, that's what makes it such a, exactly. that's what, that's why when you see those guys taking those photos and they've got those huge smiles on their faces yeah. and everyone's like, Oh, they're just happy that they killed something. But it's all that, yeah. that whole thing that waking up at three, getting, getting to the, the spot, start hiking in the dark, getting out there and having that shot that they might get the opportunity. And then, all those hours of training and practice to make sure when they take that shot, it's a good shot and it's an ethical kill. And um, it's the best death that animal's ever going to get in the wild, guaranteed. And then, <laughs> that's and, something you know, that's overlooked. For sure. <laughs> People don't understand how fucking savage the wild is. But I mean, that's all of that and all the years that they failed that they didn't get that animal or that's all in that smile, that satisfaction, that relief, um, that, that whole experience is That's what's all in that smile. That's what I see when these guys have those, those gripping grins. Yeah. And dude, in, in Delaware, we've got a shit ton of deer hunters and, um, something I'm amazed at is a lot of them like donate meat. So they yeah. kill, they go, they sacrifice all this time. And they're like, well, part of what I like to do is like get, like give the meat to needy families or to like soup kitchens and to churches and people who need meat. And they're the most giving people. They'll be like, Oh man, you want a couple pounds? Dude, I got this really good bacon and they just want to share it. And you're like, wait, you put all this time, all this effort, all this energy, you should be selfish and hoarding. And instead of that, you're completely giving without anything in return. It's not like, Oh man, you want to buy this bomb ass deer bacon? It's whatever, $12, like never. It's just like, hey man, you know, I got some ground beef. You want a little bit? Have you ever tried? Would you be interested? And they're just yeah. so, they're such providers, which is Well, that's awesome. getting back to that primal thing when everyone was in the village and that's that was their job was to provide, right? For yeah. the village. And just, it's, that's, you hear nothing but talk about like how satisfying it is to be able to share that with their friends and, um, 
yeah, and just being able to help provide and all those guys are just like you're saying, it's just take, take, take here, here, take this, take that all the time. Most of the time, except with their elk back straps. <laughs> yeah, it's man. What a fucking dude. That's, I don't know. I didn't get a ton. I'm trying to like, like go back to Whistler and I'm thinking about just how the conversation started of you like finding yourself. And I didn't get a ton into like, the transition to knives and how you even, yeah. How did like the, the, I'm going to make this a business thing happen. I guess I would be stupid to not ask that because you went from, Hey, I made a knife and were you doing it just for shits and giggles? And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm skilled enough. Was it the first trade show you were talking about where you were like, Oh my God, there's a market. I should keep doing this. I guess that all kind of happened really slowly too. Um, I was just making them and giving them to buddies. Like, I need feedback. Like, use these and let me know what you think. Like, I, I just need I need to know what I'm doing right and wrong. And um, and so I was giving them away to people, and then they started kind of spreading around. People started wanting to buy them for gifts for people. And so, um, you know, I started charging like fifty bucks a knife just to kind of cover some of the costs and to. Uh, justified to my wife all the time I was spending out in the, <laughs> out in the shop, but um, yeah, and it started getting you know. Eventually, it was it got to the point where it was like shit. If I okay, if you want, uh, if I'm going to be spending this time, I have to kind of make it a little more worth it. And so I, you know, I would charge a little bit more. I, I made sure I promised myself I would never raise my prices unless the product um, improved as well, because. Uh, and I remember watching this guy. Uh, it's funny because a similar situation happened with Joe. But uh, I remember this guy got super popular, literally like overnight. And his knives went from $1,200 to $4,000. Just just overnight. Like the, the knife didn't get four times as good. But right. his price went, you know, you know what I mean? Just because he could ask for it. And I mean... Tweets their own. He can he can ask that, and he's booked out like five years in advance for customs and stuff like that. Good for him. He's making a good living. No no worries. But for me, I was like, I don't. I didn't want to go that route. I want to make sure that I kept my prices um, relative to the product I was making. Um, so it just yeah again it just went slowly. Um, prices slowly crept up as my products slowly got better. I started getting some cooler materials for handles. Um, started making leather sheaths and my, my, you know, my, my blades were getting better. My heat treat got better. My grinds, my finishes, everything is slowly kind of kept getting better. Blows me away. Guys these days, they'll show me like, Oh, I've been making knives for six months. Here's my, this is my ninth knife that I've made. And it's like, fuck man, I didn't make a knife like that for five years. (laughs) That thing's insane. Like they're so good out of the box right now. Like I I don't know if it's partially just them just being really talented or maybe it's the instruction that's available now with like so much YouTube and stuff. That's probably helps, but yeah, but a man it's so yeah, it, it was, it was a really slow burn getting up to the point where I felt like I could charge, you know, kind of real money for these things. And then, um, and then, yeah, doing that 30 days where I could just kind of make knives full time as like a dry run. That was a, that was a big one. And yeah, but like, um, why knives? Why not make something else? Like, why aren't you into furniture, <sighs> fucking end tables or lamps? I think, uh, 
it, it just happened to be like, I, I was always into the utility of a knife. I think that, it, I mean, it's kind of mankind's oldest tool really. Um, and so I think that it kind of hits in like a, in, in sort of an evolutionary primal kind of way that way too. It's got that sort of satisfying note to it. But um, I think that it's just, it's a good size. Like it's, it's not, um, it's not, I would like to make furniture. I've made a couple of things and, but they're huge and it takes a lot of room and it takes a lot of time. A knife takes, you know, three, four days or whatever you can, you can put into it. So the turnover is, is quick enough to kind of satisfy my OCD or not my OCD, my, um, ADHD or whatever, I guess. <laughs> so it's, it's not like you don't have to work on the one thing for three months or whatever. And, gotcha. and hopefully it ends up being awesome. But, um, yeah, so it, it just kind of all kind of worked out correctly, I guess. It's not super expensive to make one when you're starting out with basic materials. So it, it was pretty approachable. It was pretty easy to get into in that regard. And just, yeah, it takes the right amount of time and the right amount of space in my shop. Dude, that's something I think about. Like the fucking, hey, man, I just bought a bunch of stuff. I think I'm going to make a good product. Oh, wait, I screwed up. And now I'm whatever grand, 3000, 5,000 in debt where like the bigger, the object, the less room for mistakes while you're learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to commit that kind of time and money into materials and stuff, you want to go and make like a sweet bed frame. You're, you're going to be into it for a bunch yeah. plus the tools that you need. I mean, you can make a knife with a vice and a file really, if you want to, <laughs> but um, so it's, it's, it's easier to progress and slowly build up your tooling and get better that way. And then, you know, the better tools you buy, the better product you make, and maybe you can charge a little more and buy some other cool tools to make it even better. And so it's, it's just like a domino thing. You don't have to jump into a hundred grand in equipment to be a mechanic or something. Yeah. Right. The slow buildup, man. I really like your, um, just your perspective. I've had a couple of people on who, um, I selfishly, part of what I get from the podcast is just gaining perspective from places that I never would normally. And, um, the slow, like the patience and appreciation and not wanting to be too much too soon is a great perspective I'm taking away from you, man. I, um, I just love the mentality, you know, it's not, I think like that's a, kind of, that's kind of a business thing too. Like if you, if you get an order all of a sudden for 10,000 knives for something, then all of a sudden you're into taking, um, taking out a loan or, you know, selling part of your business to some investor so that you can afford some extra tooling and all the, like, shark tank man you'd be on shark tank (laughs) yeah but i mean so many of those so many businesses you hear about that blow up way too fast they most of the time they fall apart because growing that fast is typically pretty catastrophic you only hear about the uh the um the the positive story like the ones that actually make it out and somehow put it all together and get real lucky and it all works out for them you hear about those ones but you don't hear about the thousands of them that crash and burn because I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I'm just taking as humility, man. Like it's, it's just so not refreshing, but it's, it's nice to speak to a successful, humble, hardworking person that gets to pursue passion. Like that's what I'm taking from the conversation from you. Like your perspective is like, keep humility at your forefront, right? Like rational, pragmatic humility, I feel. 
I'm just a guy in a dusty shop making pointy stuff. <laughs> People seem to like it. It's great. <laughs> Dude, I love that. Um, so let me uh, get you out of here on this, man. In your shop, are you a music guy? You mentioned Eminem. You've spoken about a bunch of podcasts. Does it differ on the day? Does it differ on like where you are in the process? Or do you have a routine of like hey, when I'm sharpening knives, I listen to real aggressive music. Now while I'm cooling them and I'm making these beautiful handles, I listen to Lex's podcast so that I can get into poetry and get real introspective. Uh, not that deeply. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's, it's not dictated that uh, to that extent. I wish it was, it would be way cooler if I was like that. But, uh, but no, in a similar way, um, like when I'm, when I'm like cutting and grinding, make a lot of sparks and stuff like that. I, I think I tend to lean more towards like some heavier stuff. I'll just, I'll put on like some old Metallica or something like that. Um, in the morning when I'm not really like all that motivated, the coffee hasn't quite kicked in yet. Uh, I find that actually a lot of like, uh, pretty hardcore rap and hip hop tends to be kind of motivational because yeah. I mean, all those dudes talk about is how fucking awesome they are. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a pump up in that way, which is kind of cool. And I, I probably just, um, yeah, just some of those like just heavier kind of um, drum beats and stuff, just sort of kind of get the blood moving a little bit. And then uh, it, it's got to be the quieter. I can't, I can't listen to podcasts while I'm running machinery too much because um for one thing, while they're loud, I've got pretty good headphones that block out. Um, they're like a noise canceling earmuff with uh, Bluetooth speakers in them that Elgin USA makes. And they're really good. And the sounds excellent in them and they block out enough of the noise of the machines. But I find that if it's something that I'm really concentrating on, like grinding a bevel or, you know, something that, um, that requires a lot of my concentration. I'll miss a lot of what's going on in the podcast, especially uh, yeah. if it's a Huberman or a Lex Friedman or something, or one of the heavier Rogan podcasts or something. I'll, I'll all of a sudden like be done what I was doing and be like, what just, what are they talking about? Yeah. I, like I'll miss so much of it if I'm not concentrating. So it's easier to just put on some kind of noise, like music in the background and just let the white noise kind of flow me through my day a little bit and keep me moving. But the podcast, uh, I, I try and listen, I actively try and listen to more podcasts as sort of like a self um, betterment, I guess, like, cause you know, you often learn a lot of things. And so I feel bad if I just listen to music all day long and it seems like, it seems like a missed opportunity, right? Like it's almost like a book on tape. You could have just like read a whole book if you had, instead of listening to like a bunch of Eminem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's definitely a balance and that's, it's interesting that you notice that because I talk to kids about that all the time. It's just being aware when you read. And I think everyone who reads books does it. You could be saying the words and your mind starts drifting and you're completely not aware. And then like five pages go by and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, how did this person die? Why are they kissing? They hated each other two minutes ago. And you're like, oh, I'm eight pages further and my mind went somewhere. You zone right out. Yeah, yeah. Your comprehension is just gone. Yeah. Right. And podcasts, I mean, they, you get kind of like, there's a bunch of internet shit about like dudes into podcasts, but it really can be like, I started listening to investment podcasts and 
I just, I put them on while I work out all the time. And I'm like, worst case scenario, I come across something and I've improved my life. It's the Jordan Peterson, like 1% better rule. I'm like, I don't have to get all 60 minutes. If I just get one minute of this podcast and it does something for me, like I'm better off than I was. And it's such an advantage. I find myself thinking the same way. Like it would be a waste if all I did was listen to music and sing like Molly Cyrus, whatever party in the USA. You're like, yeah, it's good to have a good time, but like, is that the best use of my time? Yeah, I started listening to him when I was doing that hour and fifteen minute drive to and from work right. every day when I was when I was doing the timber framing, and I was like, oh, this is instead of listening to the same stupid soundtrack on my iPad or on my iPod every single day, twice a day, these were so much better that I could start listening to those and listening to interesting people, and it really it does help that if um, if the whoever's on her speaking is um, just engaging. Um, If they've just got a drony monotone voice like I probably have and everyone's just zoning out or using this to fall asleep at night, that that doesn't help if you're on the road (laughs) and driving. But uh, Rumble strips. Thank God for rumble strips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's a huge one. Yeah, you got to have somebody that's – and it can't be something too heavy like listening to – to Andrew Huberman or something like like you can you almost have to be doing nothing else or or exercising where you need your brain to go somewhere else yeah. while you're doing or jogging or something like yeah, that. that you dude, need to kind of tap out. Yeah, I mean, like I found I got into during COVID. The other thing, aside from the podcast, I got into um, <clears throat> I ran like a marathon just on my own and started like training for it. And I never run normally. I would jog like two to three miles. And then I was like, fuck it. Let me just see. Cause I got the time and I started doing six and eight and 12. And I'm like, I need hours. I can't, I, I didn't want to just be in my head. I wanted to like have that escape of fuck. I'm going to concentrate on my breathing for another 30 minutes. Like, no, yeah. I, I want my mind to go somewhere else and just fall into like a natural rhythm. And podcast is really where that long form conversation you could just focus on it. You, your body falls into a rhythm and then you're like, wow, I can, I can digest the words versus them just being around me. I can actually stew on them, which was a first for me. Cause even driving, man, you can zone out and miss so much cause there's other shit going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You know, you're worried about survival. Yeah. That's, Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Especially when it, it helps that your brain can go somewhere else and not focus on the hell you're putting it through. <laughs> you're just yeah. running miles and miles. Have you been on any other podcasts or is this a first for you? Yeah, I've, I've done a couple of, um, a couple of buddies. There's a couple of like uh, knife makers that have a, that have podcasts and, uh, it's cool to chat with those guys a little bit. And, um, yeah, I've been on a, yeah, Three or four, maybe, I think. Okay. Humble brag. <laughs> no, I mean, they probably get a dozen downloads each or something. <laughs> Dude, that's... I'll talk to, but I mean, I'll talk to anybody. Like when you hit me up, you're like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Why not? I mean, it's it's partially um, because it's fun just to talk to to people like the norm just to people you would have never met before or whatever right. it's fun just chatting and i mean different perspective like you're trying to get from other people from all these conversations you're having i'm kind of doing the same thing just sort of less proactively and more of just like a i'll i'll chat with whoever wants to talk and and i mean on the other and 
then there's also the other side where there's like the marketing part of it, where it's like, there's no downside to getting your name and face and voice out to whoever you can. You never know who's going to listen to this or, and you know what that could spark that sort of thing. But so, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to sit down and talk about stuff, especially it's, and then there's like the, um sort of the ego part where it's like oh this guy wants to talk to me i must be important (laughs) (laughs) great that's a very small part of it (laughs) yeah well dude that was something um with doing this that was part of it too and again just thinking about a dude at a bar or person at a bar thinking about someone at an office or waiting in line i was like i feel like everybody had value and i felt like so many people didn't feel like they had value. And that's why they gravitate towards their phone to look for some sort of distraction of that. And I'm like, no, man, like everybody's been through shit. Like everybody's got stories to tell. Everybody can add something to someone else's life. And I was like, that would be kind of cool just to randomly encourage people to even, and maybe it's selfish on my part, but like, it's kind of cool to like throw some people on to be like, Hey man, like you're special, like be the center of attention for a couple hours and like genuinely be into knowing about what your life is. Dude, I had one, a Canadian lady, I forget where she was from. Um, but like we talked about her pregnancy and water birthing for a fucking hour and a half of her pod. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll try to hang with you on that best I can. But like it mattered to her. And I was like, and she's an artist and she does really cool fucking oil paintings. We didn't even get to it because at that moment in her life, like she was like, I've not talked to an adult and I feel like a bunch of people can be judgmental about the way I gave birth and this, this whole fucking thing. And I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. And like, to me, I'm like, that's cool that different people can get that moment where now like, she'll be like, yeah, I was on a podcast and like her kid might be able to find her episode and know about her mom in that moment. And I'm like, that's fucking dope, man. Like, I'm like, that's a value add to society and more people need to try to listen and try to find the value. And like, what, what do people want to get out? You know, that's, that's really cool that you had that thought that, um, to make, make people feel special, like make them feel like they're, they're the focus. They're the the guest they're the you know the the special guest on the talk show or whatever like yeah. they're it's it's your it's this is your time kind of thing that's really sweet that you were able to um put together that kind of concept and have um an outlet or a tool like podcasting to make that so pretty pretty easy really inaccessible these days to you don't need a radio station kind of to do it yeah. you can just do it on record it on your phone and um it's it's so important that you're so open-minded and open to talk about anything. I mean, you admittedly didn't know anything about knives, but you're perfectly happy to talk to me about knives because it's something that I know a few things about. And you're perfectly happy to talk to a woman about water birthing, even though you clearly, I don't think, have any experience. Zero, with zero that. experience. But I got one being, kid. It was. But just being just being like um, genuinely curious. I think that's probably what makes Rogan so successful too. And so maybe it'll work out for you yeah, too, but just, he's so like genuinely curious and in- interested and happy to learn as much as he can about anything, which just sounds like is, is kind of your deal too, which is, that's fantastic. That's exactly what somebody with a totally random podcast, like you're, it, it, you don't seem to have a theme other than. Yeah, just, dude. 
it fucks, cool shit. It fucks me from a business standpoint because everybody for like growing a podcast is like, what's your target audience? And I'm like, I don't know who would be into a guy's knife or bush fucker that was on Joe Rogan and is into water birthing. And then also talk to a person about an after school satanic club, but at the same time gets into people who are on naked and afraid, you know, and you're like, there's this weird ass spectrum of just randomness that I really like, but from like a business model, there's no fucking niche. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's one of those things where I've like, I've had to kind of like humble myself to be like, oh, dude, well, you can't get an advertiser. Well, like, no shit, because you can't really articulate what the demographic is you're going to allow their product to get to because I never fucking know. Like, dude, I had no idea about the Lex Friedman thing. I like, you're, you're a pretty big fucking deal to have Rogan follow you. And I didn't realize that when I saw your comment and was like, hey, man, just sent you a message. And then all of a sudden you go through your profile. You're like, dude, you're fucking like, like you're... I'm now two degrees away from Lex Friedman because of you. Like that's fucking weird. But at the same time, I had no idea. I just, you left a wordy enough comment that caught my attention. I was like, I'd love to have you on knife guy. I've never spoken to a knife guy before. And like, how do you then translate that to this online coffee sales place where you're like, Hey, you should run an advertisement on my podcast. Cause I may talk to a Canadian knife guy. I think that that's, that's a failure of like um, the traditional business model, though. I think, like that's. I think you're trying to, or not you per se, but like advertisers. Everybody in business is still trying to use an old model, an old concept for this whole new thing that doesn't work anymore. Like, I mean, that you run into that with advertising on social media all the time, and then you you know you have these people who are trying to, um, like my brother's in advertising, and he's trying to he was trying to help me out with like, here's, here's how you like, same sort of thing, like find your target audience and, you know, apply this and that. And it's like, it's not, it's, it's not like buying an, a billboard anymore. You know, it's not the same thing. It's, this is this whole different animal. Same with podcasting. It's like, look at the, the, the range of listener that Joe Rogan must have. It's not just MMA guy. It's not just comedy people. It's not just, you know, those little markets. It's like, literally he probably has somebody from every conceivable walk of life that's a fan of his you know what i mean yeah and so it's right and because because he hits all those he'll he just like you he'll listen to anyone who has something interesting to say so it's so i yeah i think that advertisers are probably going to start to grow up to that especially since podcasting is getting more and more popular it's i mean undeniable at this point all you have to do is say Rogan has more listeners than CNN and, you know, (laughs) and all those, all those media outlets combined pretty much. So it's, I think that that's going to start evolving. I think that, you know, dinosaurs will die. Those guys, it's all that old school stuff will start evolving. And when you start talking about like, I I have a podcast, it's going to be more like, Oh really? Tell me more about that. Not like, Oh, you're just one of those nerds. You know what I mean? Like limited people, not that long ago. Um, People were talking, I remember there was some court case not that long ago and they were talking about like, oh, we have all these emails and people were like, emails? You mean that thing on the computer? That's not real. Like, show me a paper (laughs) that I can, you know, hold in my hand, right? Dude, fucking OJ. 
Like they couldn't figure out how to help people understand DNA when OJ was getting convicted. And it was like yeah, DNA, so nobody, that's junk science, DNA. <laughs> it's like, is right. it? Right, like now, <laughs> and so like just the way that like email is now like the, the, the thing, now you're, you can like use a tweet to fire people and stuff. Like it's yeah. it's going to grow. And I still talk to just people who still won't give any um, any credence or, or sort of any kind of, uh, they won't listen to any information if it came from a podcast or YouTube because it's, it's not like viable information or whatever, all that's going to change, I think. And advertising is going to, they're going to pick up on it, especially with these younger companies. Like you've got these like um, coffee companies or the um, what's the, the, the lawnmower shaving, the fucking balls shaving oh. company or whatever, the <laughs> me undies, like all those younger startups and stuff that are like people who came up with technology, like we did, like grew up with social media those guys all get it. I think that's all going to catch up. Yeah. It's just it, the biggest thing I've heard um, and gotten into is like the downloads and it's not so much the market. It's just like, what's your download rate, which seems the numbers. To be, yeah. Which is the driver, which is nice. It's not as demographic. -y, um, but that's part of like growing a brand is like your numbers grow when you have a focus because then you're able to cater to that focus, which is what we we're talking about. Like, Hey man, make a hundred knives, give them away for free, make a hundred paintings, give them away for free. So you can develop versus, Oh, I know my niche. Let me dig into that. What that niche wants. Um, I'll know. Well, I think that like they need something to go off of, right. To, yeah. to, well, cause it's a to, business. You have to come up with some kind of exactly. value. Yeah. So they, they need some number that they can put on paper. So, I mean, that's the easiest one to go with. And it's, I mean, it's not a bad number. Downloads is important. That's how many people are going to yeah. hear their ad, right? <clears throat> but it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, how long have you been doing the, your podcast? Um, I think you are, you're the 156th guest, but I'll. Right on. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's been since COVID, I think two years. I coach basketball, so I can't do the pod during basketball season because that adds three hours to my day, six days, six days a week on top of teaching. And I just can't edit. I can't find the people. I can't organize, can't have the conversations um, during basketball. But season. I see, you see a lot of, the, of these podcasts that pop up. And I think that the mistake that they make is they start it to make a profit. Like they started as a business. And so when it doesn't happen for them after, you know, 30, 40, episodes and they kind of lose steam like ah this isn't happening i'm not making any money off of this thing and they they lose motivation for it but um for somebody who's doing it for the reasons that it sounds like you are where i just want to give people a voice and learn some cool stuff along the way and um and really just have fun conversations and then if it happens that you know all of a sudden something kicks off and the right person hears something and then you get some advertising and then starts to roll. I think that sort of thing happens just, just sheerly out of persistence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> really like, more than anything. Yeah. It's like a, um, almost like the fish with the eggs, like we were talking about earlier. Like maybe one of my babies will make it if I have a thousand of them. <laughs> yeah. If you throw <laughs> enough of things the at the wall, something's going to stick. No right? doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I, for me personally, it's just more like access. Like I've had people who are like legitimately running for Congress on this pod. And that blew my fucking mind. I was like, 
I didn't even know what to like. I had um a dude who's on Netflix specials as a fucking detective, or I had a doctor f- from Idaho who is like us on this Hulu Sasquatch, and I'm like, number one, I can't believe you said yes, Doctor Jeff, and number two. I just talked to you for three hours before you go to a fucking banquet. And like, I'm now a full believer in Sasquatch. And like, I never <laughs> would have, I'd like, without me just having this stupid, Hey man, I got a podcast thing. Like you don't get that kind of access. Right. And I think like selfishly, that's the payoff for me is the fact that people are willing to lock in and like, I can challenge you're running for fucking Senate. You're going, you're taking Joe Biden's Senate seat and you came on this podcast like that. That shit was like, cool. And at the same time, Hey, here's a single mother who's really pissed about the fact that she doesn't know who her baby's daddy is. And she's in Michigan and her fucking government assistance is fucked up because she had a one night stand, didn't abort her baby and doesn't like this governmental system. And I talked to her for three hours too, to figure that out. And like, what an awesome balance of like the world. (laughs) of life. Well, yeah, you you get, you get a really great cross section. I mean, after doing enough of them, you have such a great perspective and such an amazing cross section of like all kinds of different people. And I mean, having somebody on who's running for Senate is like such a testament to the power of podcasts and how that's getting out. Like people are starting to realize, I mean, just like using social media, you post on Instagram instead of going to a farmer's market, that's the, the reach that you can get with a podcast versus going to the, the local town hall and giving a speech kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, I think it's all going to start catching up. People are going to get wise to it. Yeah. It's, it's permanent. It's cool. Um, so thanks for yeah, listening to a little rant. I, man, it's amazing. Again, going from knives and Joe Rogan, fucking whistler, like just, even this conversation going everywhere was awesome, man. Mike, <laughs> thank you um so much. Is there something we didn't get into that you wanted to talk about? Oh man, make we got official? into all kinds of stuff I never thought we'd get into. Okay. Um, I, I no, I mean I didn't come in um, with any uh, expectations or anything. Just same as you, looking for a cool chat, and I think we definitely accomplished that. I had a really good time chatting with you, and uh, this went uh, time flew by. I'm stoked. I'm really happy to, to 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 come on and chat with you for for so long. As um, these long form podcasts are so much better than the half hour in and out. Didn't get to say anything. Yeah, weird so, ass. Talking I, I appreciate points. it. No, man, dude. Thank you for elaborating. And I always appreciate when, just like you, hit that vulnerable moment of explaining the science. Where like, hey, I'm not super comfortable in all the technical language, but people who are professional are willing to put themselves out there um, be genuine is, is awesome, man. Like, it's awesome to not only capture it, but just to fucking hear it, to be like, okay, yeah, I get that, man. So thank you for, um, taking so much of your time to come on and, uh, let people get to know you. I really do appreciate it. And, um, if you're ever in Delaware, man, I, I have a hole upstairs. I don't know if the air conditioning will work, but you're more than welcome. You and the fam can crash at a Delaware beach. I got you. That sounds sick, man. I appreciate it. I'll, uh, maybe if I'm allowed to, if I'm allowed to travel someday, it'd be sweet to get oh, out there. Yeah. And right. Check it out. <laughs> COVID. Yeah. What, what do you have to, do you have to quarantine like 14 days if you go back into Canada, some bullshit like that? I don't even know what it is. It changes all the time, but I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to leave unless I get like three shots or something. So I don't know. Oh, God, God love you dude for dealing with that shit. Yeah. That's, 
that was really like the COVID thing. I don't, I don't want to get started again, but like it did get real big government, like the fucking devils, 666, they're tracking. We're all going to be pawns and computer chipped. Like it was, it oh, was we're still, teetering we're there, still man. getting there. Up up here in Canada, we're still getting there. He's, they're still pushing for it. <laughs> Trudeau's still uh, doing everything he can to get every ounce of power he can out of this thing. He's yeah. squeezing it. Yeah, dude. It's um, I just go with like capitalistic big pharma has to like the the opiate crisis almost had to bankrupt big pharma, and it was like, did they concoct? a COVID crisis so that they could just sell a bunch of fucking vaccines, man. Like, I'm like, it yeah, has to we, be that simple. <laughs> we, we won't get too deep into it, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm flush with conspiracy theories. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, man. We'll, we'll end there. Thank you so much again, Mike. I appreciate it. And, um, I look forward to being able to watch your dope ass knife making videos. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, my pleasure. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See ya.